Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Welcome to episode number 20 of Central Intelligence Cinema. Today we are reviewing the spy-adjacent Marvel spectacular, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Enough said. Take it away, Pierce. Beg your pardon, forgot to knock. Welcome to the CIC, initiating security clearance. My name is Napoleon Soto. Bond. James Bond. Ethan Hunt. Felix Leiter. Ilya Kuriaki. Identity confirmed. Now, pay attention, 007. Welcome to Central Intelligence Cinema, a podcast dedicated to spy movies and secret agent pop culture. Your mission, should you decide to accept it. Remember, nothing ever goes according to plan. Tom, what do you think you're doing? Keeping the British hand on, sir. You expect me to talk? Yeah, baby! Recording from an undisclosed location, inside an undisclosed location, inside a disclosed location, somewhere in the honeymoon state of New Jersey, it's the Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. I'm Jason Greenberg, and with me, as always, Ben Esslinger. Oh, thank you, Jason. And you know, for being a couple of special agents, we are actually having a very special day. (laughs) A very special day. For the first time in over a year, we are... We are sitting opposite each other in real friggin' life. Woo! This is this is a great day. This is a good day. I've got all the feels. Let me look at you with my own <laughs> eyes. <laughs> but but you'll die. <laughs> <laughs> that can't stop. I don't. I forget. Oh, I forget. You're fired. I fired. know. I know. Let, well, me, this, let me take over both parts now. Listen, this isn't a Star Wars podcast. This is a spy <laughs> podcast. I can only get us so far. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) But uh, yeah, welcome back to the CIC, man. Uh, This is a long time coming. A long time. Not not just us being here, but also this review, (laughs) which has been delayed and delayed and delayed. Evan Marquez, I am so sorry. This has taken so long to come out. Hey, but it's here. So, but it's here. Hopefully, you think it's worth the effort. That's right. That's right. Our first uh, listener request, and uh, we're go- we're gonna try and deliver in spades today. And uh, yeah, should we uh, should we get into this sucker? Let's do it. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. He's a ghost. You'll never find him. Join Shield to protect people. He told me not to trust anyone. This is how it ends. Everything goes. When do we start? We just did. Okay, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. We're going Marvel today. Released in 2014, directed by the brothers Russo, Anthony and Joe. Uh, This was their first big foray into film. Um, Prior, they did lots of TV, uh, Arrested Development, Community, as well as an episode of Agent Carter. Jason. Mm. (laughs) Uh, One interesting title of note, they did something called Car Fuckers, (laughs) which was a film short 
That's essentially a sketch with Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall, uh, which I now need to really find somewhere to watch. No, no doubt. Because <laughs> that seems really interesting. You know, those the two of the episodes that they directed on uh, Community, the two paintball episodes, which are yeah. arguably the best episodes of the show, are basically what got them the gig with Kevin Feige to do really? Winter Soldier. Yeah. And uh, that makes all this more sense that there's a cameo from Ovid in there well, as well. Absolutely. I, I'm surprised there weren't more community people in there, but I'm sure at some point in time, Marvel's like, this isn't about us being cutesy wootsy. It's about us <laughs> right. making superhero movies. So yeah. listen, dial, dial listen, it back. Yeah. Listen, you got the job, but we're not going to kiss your ass either. Yeah. And, you know, lucky for them, they did get the job because like, they revitalized the entire franchise. Oh, I think yeah. with their their vision of how Avengers should be as opposed to the prior Whedon one, which I don't have any problem with the prior Whedon outings. It's just that Joss was treating it like it was Joss Whedon's Avengers. And I think the Russo brothers treated it like Marvel's Avengers, which I think Indeed. is a big differentiation there. Yeah. And I, it's, it's just so much better. I don't know. I, anyway, <laughs> uh, writing, um, the writing team of, uh, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely are largely <laughs> responsible I feel like that needs to be on a T-shirt. Marcus McFeely. Marcus That's McFeely. That's like a guy's name. Hi, Marcus McFeely. <laughs> if you take the two last names. <laughs> um, who, by the way, are now the second and third most successful screenwriters of all time in terms of U.S. box office receipts, and together are the highest grossing screenwriters. Uh, they initially received notoriety for the Chronicles of Narnia before going on to do all things Marvel. Um, obviously, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby... Receive credit because they created Captain America. Um, and the script draws from the Winter Soldier story arc from the comics written by Ed Brubaker, as well as gleaning elements, at least according to Wikipedia, from uh, conspiracy fictions like Three Days yeah. of the Condor. Yeah, the, the Russo brothers said that they referenced a lot of the 70s espionage stuff like a parallax view and, and three days to condor, which I think you do get with the content. I mean, the fact yeah. that you plastered your poster boy for 70 CAA movies as the bad guy in the movie right. probably helped a little, but the, the way that they set up the suspense and the tension throughout the entire film is definitely yeah. uh, reflective of those movies. So yeah, good job, them. <laughs> uh, photography wise, cinematography is by Trent Opalock. Uh, who did District 9 in Elysium. And it's about as bright and colorful as you would probably expect from a comic book movie about Captain America. He's, oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's just, you kind of, when, you, when you're going into a movie about Captain America, you kind of expect it to just be primary colors and mm -hmm. splashy like a comic book would yeah, be. Yeah, but and, I mean, actually, they toned down a lot of that, that the flashy colors until the very end. I mean, his, yeah. whole, his whole stealth costume, they painted the shield, the darker colors at the yeah. beginning. But you're right. Even the darker scenes, like the beginning scene and the scene at the camp, which are at night, are, are still, still pretty... very well lit and, and easy to see things that are going on. Yeah. And I appreciate, too, that they didn't over contrast the hell out of everything. Like, if you think about, I think about Mission Impossible 3. And how contrasty Abrams made that movie. Yeah, but that's that's JJ. It's, I know that's JJ. He was and in his moody period. At he that was point. in his moody period. And it's one of my, yeah. Anyway, that's <laughs> that's for a different day. That's for yeah, a different. We're day. gonna get there eventually. We are. So also, they clearly know how to shoot for heavy CGI as well. I mean, the CGI in this movie is well is pretty darn great considering yeah, 2014. I, you know, watching this movie now, it's I. There are very few moments, and I can't even think of a single example of one now where I feel like anything's overly dated. Maybe some of the 
big jumps, but that's just superhero yeah. stuff that that feels a little. Well, and you know, so the big chunk of that movie, they they filmed everything practical wherever they could. Right. That was their goal. They didn't want a heavy CGI film. So I think a lot of stuff you see where people, you know, the extended speed and stuff, particularly on the boat scene, I think it's kind of the most obvious. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of wire yeah. work there. That but, wide shot on the on the boat in the opening scene. That's right. that's the one moment that I felt like I could tell that there was CGI stuff going on. That mid movie blowout fight. Mm-hmm is so spectacular and you can tell that they did a lot of the entire car chase with nick fury was all practical and that still blows my mind because i mean i've seen good car chases i mean i watch movies so i know i've seen good ones in my life ronin bullet um john wick's got a good car chase in every single one of those movies but this one almost and it's not but it almost feels like it's one single shot because it's so cut so tightly and so shiny and everything is just boom 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 and then you think they had to time all that shit. Yeah. It's, I mean, well, and I just, I, well, we'll get into numbers here in a second, but regardless of what the budget is of this movie, it's just so well orchestrated. Mm-hmm. The action in this movie is so well orchestrated. I, yeah. And from a couple of guys who did TV directing before they did this, this is the other thing that blows my mind. Yeah. Talk about nailing the landing right. on your first foray into film. Holy <laughs> shit, dude. No doubt. So, if there's ever any doubt that there's people that just got hidden talents out there that aren't Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> this is the proof. Yeah, indeed. Like I said, occasionally, you know, there, that's that shot when Cap is sent flying after being hit with a grenade launcher. It was a little, it was a little much, but yeah. But I mean, come on, it's a, it's a superhero movie. Yeah, but then you you look at the other side of with with Peggy Carter with the. Uh, the the, the, the aging, aging makeup on there and you know it's I, pretty good well and so it's all cgi it's no physical makeup on her oh really yeah well i think there is some physical makeup that they did to illustrate points but they used computers to sink the cheekbones change the facial structure and the muscular structure if i recall correctly from the thing i saw they actually had an old woman of the right age and superimposed her features over the stuff that they captured from Aliat while doing the scene oh, wow. and blended them together. That was the first time they'd ever used any of that facial movie magic stuff that Marvel's kind of become like the big game in town with making people looking young and stuff like that. Right. You know, not scary like Patrick Stewart from uh, the Wolverine oh, Origins yeah, movie. I remember that. Where he's like, I'm glowing. Look at me. I'm young. <laughs> no, you're not young. You're well, weird. I hope they got the same team to do uh, Indy Five. That's all I'm going to say. Well, with the, I uh, guess we're going to see because there's, there's definitely going to be some de aging going I, on. I'm definitely concerned that Indy's going to show up on screen with an uncharacteristic un- Spanish accent, and <laughs> that's going to be that for the movies. But we're not here to talk about Indiana Jones. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> so uh, by the numbers, the budget for this movie was 177 million, and it made 714.4 million dollars. It barely broke even. <laughs> what's crazy i just can't get over the fact that somehow a movie right? that makes a movie that makes 714 and a half million essentially was still the seventh highest grossing film of 2014 how is that even fucking yeah. possible compared to transformers yeah the hobbit which the was hobbit. even a it was a filler i didn't for even that watch movie. i didn't even see the hobbit man maleficent how does maleficent Beat Captain America. Uh, I mean, honestly, even Guardians. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy looked great when it first came out, and everything else. And I can see why it beat it, but still, 
Well, you know, I think part of this has to do with the fact that people still perceived at that time Captain America movies as movies moving the plot forward. Right? They were Instead the it was Thor and Captain America where you got all of the, you know, here's the next iteration, what's gonna happen type right. of things. Um, which completely undersells this movie because as I've said probably a gajillion times before, this is the best Marvel movie that ever came out. Yeah. We're like, in complete agreement on that. I still to this day I have yet to see anything that matches this movie. No, because it's it's it, it's like Rogue One. It's a spy movie in the Marvel universe, not a Marvel movie with spies in it. That's Black Widow, and not nearly as successful. Still good, but not as successful. Still good, but not as successful. Indeed, indeed. Henry Jackman did the score. Uh, this guy has done tons and tons of stuff. He still works frequently with his mentor, Hans. Oh, Hans. Zima. Uh, from a spy angle, uh, this guy has done all the Kingsman movies, as well as Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. But that is really just the tip of his composing iceberg. This guy has done... I mean, if you, if you go into IMDb, it's... it's Yeah. Yeah, every time I, I see his name pop up in the credits, I'm like, Hugh Jackman. Oh, no, no, Henry Jackman. <laughs> um, and then we have... You know, this is not truly a spy movie. It's a spy-adjacent movie. Mm-hmm. It's a spy-adjacent movie because it's... It's the main character is not a spy, but he's surrounded by spies. Correct. So we don't really have a bond, so to speak. But of course, obviously, Chris Evans as the cap. I think he does a great job. This is probably my favorite portrayal of Captain America. Yeah, I would agree with that. After this, I I kind of start to be less enthusiastic about him for one reason or another. I don't know. Well, he gets embroiled in the whole team thing. Because everything after this Captain America is Captain America with a group of people. He right. stops being solo stuff. Yeah. And, and I do love that he's just such a he's just such a fish out of water in this one. It's so fun to watch him sort of react to like how the mindset of other people that are in the current era contrasting with his own mm-hmm. thoughts about how life is just supposed to be and no one else sees it that way anymore. Right. So, but of course, we do have many bona fide spies in this movie, mainly uh, Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow and Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. I would also have to say you got to throw Kobe Smulders in there too, because Maria uh, Hill is the spy. Indeed, indeed. I was I was just about to get to her, and man, Kobe Smulders is her name says it all. Yeah, her name really does say it all. Taryn uh, Killam, you're a lucky man. Indeed, indeed. Um, <laughs> as far as uh, we don't really have Bond girls no. in, in this movie, because again, this is a spy adjacent movie, yeah, but we do have. And none of them die. <laughs> but none of them die. <laughs> and, and he doesn't sleep with anybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we do, of course, have the love interest in, in uh, Peggy Carter, portrayed by uh, Jason's <sighs> favorite, Haley Atwell. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then, of course, we've got Emily Van Camp as uh, Kate slash Agent 13 slash Sharon Carter slash Power Broker. She's not Power Broker in She's this not, one. What's that? She's not Power Broker in this movie. In this movie. Come she, on. She evolves into Come that. on. Okay. Stay well, in 2014. Well, I'm sorry. Jeez. I was just trying. You know, this, this, that's a lot of names. So I'm just trying to figure out. What to call her. I just mostly refer to her as Agent 13 in this. That's what you should, because she's really Agent 13 in this, and then she's Sharon Carter in, in Civil War, and yeah. and she's Power Broker in Winter Soldier and Falcon. So, right. so there you go. She's always Agent Carter's niece. Man, she's always lovely. Mm-hmm. 
and then, of course, like I said before, uh, Colby Smulders as Maria Hill. And then uh, Anthony Mackie as Falcon. Cut the check. <laughs> I really like Anthony Mackie. Although, I feel like he does his best impersonation of Will Smith as Falcon slash future... I don't know. I think that's his. I think that's his speed, though. You, you know? think so? I don't think he's trying to be Will Smith. I think he's just being Anthony Mackie. Yeah, I, I've seen him in other things, and yeah. even when he's dialed down, he's, he's still, still Anthony Mackie. Yeah, yeah. But regardless, I really like him all around. I think a lot of that is, is and I know I'm. I feel like I'm in the minority about this with a lot of people, but I actually really liked Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. I actually really liked that series a lot, and that was the series where I was like. Yes, make him cap. I am on board with it. This guy is so, but he's really great in this as well. I mean, he delivers some of the best lines, some of the funnier lines in this movie. He's a great foil for Captain America. Yeah. Because Evans has to play Captain America as Captain America. So there's a certain amount of range he can get to. Right. That eventually he gets more into being a modern guy in the future films as they go along. Right. But he's a good counterpoint. And that's also why he worked on Falcon and Winter Soldier. Because Winter Soldier is, it, is your another, yeah. and he he can be the expressive voice of the two, right? When he's paired up with them, I'm curious to see how that plays in the next uh, Avengers movies, because I don't think he's going to be the focal leader of the group. It is going to be more difficult for him to be that witty, clever mm-hmm. guy now because if he's in now, charge. Because now he's holding down the torch mm-hmm. he's representing america quite literally and now it's going to be other people's job to sort of foil off of him right if they go that route if I mean, they it's go going to be route. interesting to see how they go i would love to see a clever captain america though I would like be a more okay with a like a captain like america. a little bit more snark a little bit more i don't know yeah, yeah, you know, I I know in the comic books he's kind of taken on that mantle and and gone that way. I'm just curious to see how his interpretation of the character changes if they try and put the new this new Captain America into that mold. Mm-hmm. Because Sam Wilson, as he's portrayed him thus far, can be a leader, but he's not that kind of leader. Right. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic going forward. Because man, if they'd made Bucky Captain America like they did originally. That was just boring. <laughs> Cap died. He got a shiny metal Captain America suit, went out to be Captain America. Right. And uh, he was just like, yeah, this isn't my gig. I can't represent it and be, be America. I can't represent America and be the guy that I am. So that's right. how Shield, or Sam gets it and moves along. And I'm like, I know they're going to go with him, but there's a chance they're going to go with Bucky. And I don't really want that to yeah. happen. So thankfully they did not. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much the uh, the formality. Should we get into the meat and potatoes of the sucker? Heck yeah. So, pre-title sequence. We don't really have a pre-title sequence. And just before we started recording today, I, <laughs> it only dawned on me just today that there is no mm-hmm. title sequence at the beginning of this movie. And then you, you let me know that there aren't in any of the Marvel movies. There <laughs> is no opening credits to any Marvel movie, they're all at the end. I think the first couple might have had them. I can't remember for sure if Iron Man did or didn't. But oh, I, with the exception I of Black think, Widow. Yeah, exception of Black Widow. I don't think Iron Man did either, because I know at the end they actually play I Am Iron Man over the credits. So mm-hmm. they just dive right into them. 
So yeah. if you look at it from that standpoint, the entire movie is the pre-credit sequence or the pre-credit sequence. So yeah. uh, we didn't get a payoff after that. Yeah. <laughs> what a <laughs> I, chip. I guess the move that would make the movies the two end credit scenes. Those are that's the movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah, so we get into it. It opens on the morning, you know, early in the morning in uh, Washington DC. It takes place 2 years after the Battle of New York, aka the Avengers movie. And uh Steve Rogers is uh working as an agent of Shield and he's out on his morning jog and we hear on your left. On your left. <laughs> on your left, <laughs> flying past Sam, <laughs> uh, who is a, a veteran United States Air Force pararescue trooper mm-hmm. uh, who now works as a counselor at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. And then uh, after the jog, Wilson and Rogers kind of share and bond over their common experiences and adapting to life after serving their tours. And uh, I'm sure also just the fact that the cap is still trying to figure out what 2014 life is supposed to be. And no doubt. And I love his little, uh, his little notepad. Mm-hmm. He's got all these things he's supposed to check out, whether it's music or movies. And I love that they crossed out star. He crossed out star Wars and had star Trek next to it. Right. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I read somewhere that for different markets, they had different lists. Really? Yeah. So depending on what the country would have found relevant. Oh wow! Um, and but that's clever. Yeah, Star Wars was on all of them. Man, they don't miss a. Those guys no, at Marvel, no. they don't miss a beat. So I'm man. curious. I think I'm sure I could probably find it online, but I'm curious what the China market one was. <laughs> 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 yeah. Wow. Um, so after that, uh, you know, Natasha Romanoff pulls up in a fancy car, black Corvette. Just for case anybody's wondering, she drives a black car because on the nose. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so she pulls up in her black Corvette to take Rogers uh, with her on a mission. And we get that awesome little moment from Sam where he's like, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, hi. Yeah, hi. You're kinky. I'm just going to flirt a little bit. Um, and then we get, uh, I love the line, too, from Natasha. The, the, that's the other thing yeah. about this movie. The dialogue in this movie is so great. It absolutely is. And... This is going to be a gush fest, isn't it? It's going to be. <laughs> this is like in the in the Intel report we did previously. This is the, what I'm talking about about uh, them underutilizing Scarlett Johansson exactly. in her own movie. Right. She delivers eighty percent of the good lines in this film. Yeah. Because that's what her character does. Right. And she gets very few of them in there in the interest of letting the rest of the family breathe. So. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So the the uh, anyone know where the Smithsonian is? I'm here to pick, pick up, up a, a fossil. fossil. <laughs> so great, yeah. So so then suddenly we're whisked away on a jet flying over the Indian Ocean, and uh, Brock Rumlow, the resident Brock Rumlow, is the perfect name for this guy. Yeah, and it's the real name. That's the character's name in the comics. Too. In the comics, because yeah. he's just like a jarhead dude, uh, you know. Yeah. So he's given the rundown to the cap. Uh, the mission is to rescue the hostages of the sh- of S.H.I.E.L.D. vessel uh, Lumerian Star, which has been taken over by a group of hired pirates led by Georges Batroc. Um, Batroc the Leaper. That's his, that's his <laughs> name in the comics. Yes. Um, and I did find it interesting. And this passed me by every, almost every single time that I saw this movie prior to actually sitting down and really doing the notes on this is 
the fact that Cap notices and he's like, why is uh, Jasper Sitwell on this ship? Mm-hmm. And that's and that's a very crucial thing. Absolutely. And yet it, like I said, it passed me by like a thousand times. But man, these guys, Marvel does their homework on, oh, on yeah. story writing. Absolutely. So Cap notices that and then he gives the team their assignments and then they uh, they spring into action. And then how does Cap spring into the action? Is he wearing a parachute? No. No, he wasn't. I love Rumlow. I'm so glad he's on our side. Yeah, I'm really glad he's on our side too. Yeah, that pity, that witty repartee between him and Cap is great. And it's gonna look <laughs> so forward to it for the rest of the movies. Right. I mean, sure. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, they, he jumps out and and uh, swims up and then climbs up the the chain of that boat or whatever. Um, and this is where we do get that one little one little moment where you can kind of tell that it's CGI because you get that that big wide flying shot that sort of circles the ship mm-hmm. and and but it's so subtle that it's not egregious. No, like I'm willing to forgive it, like because I've seen far worse. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I, the whole that whole scene where he gets in and he just starts running across the side of the boat, hitting people as he goes along. Yeah. And it's so violent. Yeah. He's literally, it's like he's pulling his punches, but he's still too strong. Right. To not throw people into walls. It should be, one guy he kicks into the rail, and I'm surprised you didn't hear a, as their spine broke and he fell into the water. Did that guy die? Right. I was, I was very, that was something that jumped out at me, actually, compared to a lot of other of the Marvel movies that I've seen is that the violence feels much more real, especially in this scene in particular, there's some really lethal moments in that. Like when he throws the knife into the guy's hand, hand, right? Sticks it to the wall. Like that is not characteristic of most Marvel violence that I see. Well, and certainly not for Captain America, although they do show him, he's willing to use guns and stuff as he goes along, but it's, it, that was usually Bucky's gig, right? Yeah. And that's, I, I think that's why this movie stands out so much to me is that he um, he's not super wholesome in the way that he attacks the bad guys in this mm. movie. He's quite lethal and, you know, there's a lot of collateral damage yeah. going on. Well, and I mean, you know, from his perspective, there's hostages, there's stakes. Right. So he doesn't have time to pussyfoot around. Right. He's so he's not intentionally breaking people's necks or anything like that. But he's that. getting the job done. Yeah. And I'm just like, I think about that guy getting kicked into the rail like I think about... The, the Batmobile and Batman versus Superman, he was clearly blowing people up in cars and Batman doesn't kill people. And uh, uh, that whole thing, all of it sticks in my head because it's so antithetical to each one of those characters. And right. it's like, was there a scene where Cap's like, somebody get that guy in the water and they cut it out because they, they needed it for time? I hope so. Because I mean, I don't mind a really mean kind of violent Captain America, but it defeats <laughs> the purpose but, of the character. Right, right. Because he is. I do sort of see him as like a Batman type of person where he's got a set of rules in his head that mm-hmm. he doesn't violate. Right. And killing somebody is probably one of those things. Yeah, no doubt. But I don't know. That's probably going to be unresolved. Yeah. Um. But I should back up just a little bit. I do love right before they actually jump down and and start the mission. I like the little quip that Natasha has with Cap about trying to set him up on dates. 
<laughs> and and uh, or what did he do this weekend? Or didn't right. you do anything? And he's like, well, all the guys from my barbershop quartet are dead, so uh, <laughs> not no. really sure what to do with myself. <laughs> so well, he's like, no, too busy. Yeah, she's like, oh, what are you too afraid? Nope, too busy. Whoop, off yeah. the plane. Off the plane he goes. <laughs> so um, the action ensues, and the other members of the strike come down and 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 eliminate the pirates and rescue the hostages. However, mid-mission, uh, Rogers discovers that Romanoff had gotten her own secret mission from Nick Fury to extract the shield intelligence on the ship onto a USB drive. And Rogers is not a fan of that because he feels like the mission has been slightly compromised by all this. And, and Natasha's like, you just had a different mission than me. Right, exactly. And again, that's one of those things that they keep pointing out about him not really getting or not quite adapting yet to this new world that he's in, which is, I don't know, which is like my favorite part of the whole movie. The, oh, just yeah. that fish out of water thing. Yeah. You also, you have to point out that, A, the suspense at the beginning of this movie is dialed up to like 11. Yeah. Um, they really position things in a way that the characters are waiting for things to happen yeah. and are waiting for marks to be hit and then super precision when things do go down like that. And it's funny to me that the strike team hits everything the way they're supposed to. Natasha's the one who's like, I need a minute because she's out there showboating with her John Woo double-fisted gun <laughs> through a metal grate, right. hit him with Posing. a pipe in the head, <laughs> which, spoiler alert, Probably the best callouts in Black Widow are that posing bullcrap. Yeah, but um, <laughs> it it's like her her blase attitude about things. Yes, causes her to not be in sync with the rest of the team. Right, which follows through the entire film until she gets onto Captain Rogers' way of doing things, and all of a sudden she's just firing on all cylinders. Right. I will go back one step too. Also, you were talking about the uh, chemistry between. Brock and Cap prior to mm -hmm. future events. I love, love, love when Cap first lands, yeah. takes out all these guys. There's one guy left. Booster. Booster. Thanks. Yeah, you seem pretty helpless without me. <laughs> As he's descending in on a parachute, you have to point that in too. Yeah, you yeah. Have, foop, one shot. So... You want Brock Rumlow to just to be this guy, right? Yeah. You know, that, that hangs out with Cap and does all this other stuff. And he does. He he does. He's that guy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. That totally happens for I mean, I mean, the next he's, he's 15 civil, minutes of the movie. He's in Civil War. And... <laughs> so, yeah. So, they, you know, they, they finish rescuing the hostages and that's kind of it. And then... If there were titles to this movie, <laughs> this is where this is where we'd see them. But uh, so then we get into Act One proper, and uh, we're back at the help me pronounce this Triskelion. Triskelion. Yep. Okay. So we're back at the Triskelion, and Rogers is very angry with Fury for lying to him. Um, Rogers mentioned that not knowing about Romanov's mission could have jeopardized hostages. And we get that pretty good line, actually, from Fury about, well, I sent the best soldier in history to keep that from happening. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Fury, you know, feels like he, he needs to, you know, win back Roger's trust. So he takes him to the, quote, basement. That's <laughs> a very <laughs> humble way of... <laughs> There's no basement in the Triskelion. <laughs> 
<laughs> so so they go to the basement where he introduces Rogers to Project Insight, which consists of three next-generation shield helicarriers, which, man, if that ever is a real thing, if helicarriers are ever a real thing, I want to get on one and just just because. Absolutely. And can I point out to you that very early in the movie, we're showing the evil genius's lair with the good guys? Hmm. Because this is a Bond-level underground facility. It really is, yeah. With Bond-level underground technology, and it belongs to the good guys. Quote-unquote good guys. Right. Well, and this just this whole scene is like sets the groundwork for showing that Fury has kind of maybe lost his way just a little bit. So they, they go down there, and these, these helicarriers are set to be launched into the air and connected to Project Insight satellites at 3,000 feet in the air, to be able to neutralize enemy hostile targets. And Fury tells Rogers that S.H.I.E.L.D. takes the world as it is, not as we like it to be. And then Rogers responds that this isn't freedom, this is fear. And that's that's sort of where that groundwork is laid. Like, hey, man, maybe you're... <laughs> this is a lot. <laughs> you might want to, I don't know, scale this back just a little. <laughs> I don't know. So later then we see uh, Rogers visits the Captain America exhibit at the Smithsonian. Uh, where we also get a, a glimpse of Bucky's exhibit, which, of course, is sort of the foreshadowing of, as to what's to happen next. And I do love that little moment when they're at the Smithsonian and the kid sees him. It's a super wholesome moment, but I kind of like it. Like, so, Here's a couple things on that scene. Um, when you're seeing the escalator scene coming down, there's mm-hmm. an adult with a kid on the escalator scene. Apparently, that's Joss Whedon and his kid. Oh, really? Yeah. But the kid that Captain America sees is one of the Russo brothers' kids. Oh, really? Their kids are all over the Smithsonian scene. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's cool. So, yeah. So, he does the little, shh, don't tell anybody I'm uh-huh. here type thing. <laughs> and how about Gary Sinise doing the voiceover for that exhibit? Oh, is that him? That's Gary Sinise. Like, he's perfect. Like, yeah. that's, that's, like you said, that's the level of detail. We'd get somebody who would actually do this if it were a real exhibit. Right. Certainly somebody with the right voice, the yep. right credentials yeah and i believe i believe at the time he was actually doing army commercials and there you go so (laughs) so yeah so he looks at the you know he's kind of staring into the bucky exhibit and then also while he's there we see him watching an old film of peggy carter talking about what the cap did and how he saved the man who became her husband Hmm. and uh and then we and then, of course, that's when we snap over to Cap visiting the now elderly Peggy Carter, who is uh, suffering from some sort of dementia in a retirement home. And um, yeah, the the aging, I, did, I had no idea that that was all digital. I mm-hmm. thought it was just like a makeup job. No, I think there was some there was some makeup application on there, but it was all enhanced with digital stuff. That's why the wrinkles looked real. Yeah. I don't know if she was suffering from dementia, though. Well, no, because there's a moment in there where... You know, they're they're relating to each other, relating to each mm-hmm. other, and then suddenly she snaps. And and oh, suddenly she's yeah. like, Oh, I haven't seen you in so long and she starts crying and it like I don't think that's dementia. I think that was just her getting caught up in the moment. Because she sure? she was lucid while she was discussing everything with him through the whole thing. Well, I know, but I mean, even people with dementia have that where they're lucid for a little bit and then something will happen where But she was still lucid after she had that moment. Yeah. Because they went in to talk about how Steve how his personality is what it is. Right. And so I think it was just her maybe overacting a smidge more than she needed to in that scene. Okay. But I don't like the idea of Peggy Carter having dementia at all. She's smart as a whip up until the day she dies. 
Fair because enough. she has to be, because I said so. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So meanwhile, <laughs> Fury uh, discovers that the uh, data on the uh, USB is inaccessible. And <laughs> Who secured it? Nicholas J. Fury. <laughs> yeah. I love his office, by the way. Sure. It is so cool. Like, you want to talk about an evil villain lair, even though he's the good guy? Mm-hmm. Like. With the screens and the being able to turn the lights down and everything else, I mean, oh, yeah. that's some Ken Adam level <laughs> set setting right there. That's pretty cool. Um, so uh, he informs Alexander Pierce, who had just concluded a meeting with the World Security Council about the hijacking of the Lumerian Star, which I didn't realize until afterwards that it's a pretty big hint that because Pierce is so willing to dismiss the security breach on the Lumerian that he's probably involved with it. Yeah. So there's layers that are involved in this whole movie that give they give you clues. Well, it's just funny that <laughs> the irony is is that I'm clueless about all the clues that seem to keep me popping up. You know, all these things I don't take note of until I've seen the whole movie once. And then until I go back and watch it again, I'm like, there's one, mm-hmm. there's two, there's three. All this stuff is supposed to be telling me these things, and yet I didn't like Pay yeah. attention to any of them. Well, you know, and it's it, so there's you're kind of going back a little bit. You know, when when uh, Fury's in the elevator with Rogers, and they're having this you know crisis of conscience between the two of them, right? And Fury gives him that little story about his granddad, oh, about his granddad, right? Yeah. And you know how you know he liked people, he just didn't trust them very much, mm-hmm. and that's kind of you know that was his way of saying this is where I'm coming from. He, I'm a good guy, but I just don't trust people to themselves. And Cap's main thing is that. You have to let people be people, whether you trust them or not. Right. People have to have the right to free choice, which this whole movie is about trust. You got every character trying to earn Captain America's trust in some capacity, right? right? And then being disappointed when they can't. Even Rumlow later on is like, it's not personal. Because even he doesn't want to disappoint Captain America while he's trying to kick his ass. Right. Right? So there's this whole thing back and forth in it. And... Pierce is the one who really comes off as a stone cold, we don't know what his fucking agenda is. Yeah. Because he walks in being Robert fucking Redford. He's got to be one of the good guys. Sure, of course he is. He never plays a bad guy. <laughs> and then he turns out to be the bad guy. The bad guy. A really but bad guy. <laughs> with a straight up agenda. No trust issues. He doesn't have to trust anybody. He talks about trusting Nick Fury, but obviously he doesn't have to. So, right. you know, I'm just saying, you know, you, there's that whole undercurrent that's in there that follows along with all the little clues and everything else that's being pointed to you. But Pierce's character is the enigma until they just pull the curtain back and right. show you what he actually is. Yeah. So after that little meeting, uh, Fury asks Pierce to make a formal request to the council to delay Project Insight due to Fury's rising suspicions. And I'm wondering... <laughs> only, only if you get Iron Man to come to my granddaughter's party or my niece's party. And it can't just be a flyover either. He's got to mingle. Got to <laughs> mingle with the kids. <laughs> In full suit, damn it. <laughs> so, uh, and then from there, we snap over and we see Cap meeting with uh, Wilson again after watching him speaking during the end of a session for veterans with PTSD. And this is kind of a cool moment just to sort of get a glimpse of Sam's reason for being part of the sessions. And you you can tell too with Cap um, how out of sorts he is and how he's not a he's not a spy. He's just a soldier. He's just he likes things when they're straightforward and mm-hmm. they're not messy and you can actually trust people. And I think that's I think Sam is maybe the only person that he trusts. 
At the beginning, at the yes. beginning, at the beginning, implicitly, yeah. And Bucky, even though whatever's going on with Bucky, but that's right. a whole different uh, tangent. There. That's faith. That's not trust. That's I think. Faith. I think it's straight up trust. He trusted that Bucky would come around because he knew Bucky, but that's blind faith. Whereas I think with Sam, he trusted him because they were brothers in the foxhole kind of thing. Right, and the fact that. Sam doesn't have anything to gain from any of all this. Exactly. He's he's no not agenda. A, yeah, he has no agenda whatsoever. He's just sort of you know making friends with with Captain America yeah. because they happen to be on the same running uh, path. Right. And who and doesn't want to be friends, friends with, with Captain, Captain America. America? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So they sort of talk, and and Cap gets sort of the the deal on uh, on how Sam lost his wingman. And how, and then Cap sort of talks about Bucky a little bit. So they they kind of they bond. They bond, and then uh, Fury then leaves the Triskelion and is en route to meet with Maria Hill. And very quickly he says, "Deep shadow conditions." So we're already we already know what we're about to. Not quite at the level that we're about to get, but we know that something is definitely wrong. Well, you have to wonder at this point. Every time I watch, I have to wonder: Did Fury know something was going to happen to him and told Hill? We're going to fake I'm going to be dead, so get things rolling now. Is that what deep shadow conditions means? I I think so, because he really does seem to know something. Because he can't open the USB stick, that's why he thinks that there's something going on. Oh, the for fa- sure. Well, the yeah. fact that he doesn't have access, even though he's the one that supposedly set up the access, that right. was his red alarm to sort of let him know, wait a minute. Some shit's about to go down. I'm going to start taking some actions behind the scenes before I even talk to Pierce. Before I do anything else, exactly. I'm going to talk to my, you know, my first person. Yeah, because Maria Hill, Maria Hill is basically her Phil Coulson. Now that Phil Coulson's gone, right? So she's the uh, the number one for him. But see, I always have this argument that Fury stands up in an apartment in front of windows, <laughs> even though he's made the effort of turning oh, the yeah. lights off. So it's like. Is is that all? Was it his plan the whole time to get shot with this drug that's coursing through his body? Already. Already. So that he can fake his own death and start doing things. Because, dude, I know you don't read any of the Marvel comics with that kind of level, but Nick Fury is always dying and fucking disappearing to go do secret shit that people don't know about uh, against people doing more secret shit. So... It's, he's so he's a, faked his death like a thousand times yeah, in the they comics? Have, they have these things called LMDs, which there are a couple of throw-off jokes in the rest of the series. You know, uh, Stark's like, uh, you were talking to the life model, model decoy of Anthony Stark. They're robots that look like people and are programmed to act like the people that they're... Impre- and I can't tell you the number of times somebody's saying something to Nick and they get in a fight and it turns out to be an LMD robot because Nick was somewhere else doing something else for some other reason. Oh, wow. So... The idea of him knowing he was going to get assassinated and setting it up so that it's advantageous to him is completely on brand for the character. Right. <laughs> there you go. So right after he he initiates deep shadow conditions with Maria Hill, that's when he's attacked by assassins that are sort of impersonating policemen. <laughs> how, about, um, how about that line when they pull up next to him? You want to see my lease? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> Um, and I love that his car is so super elevated, high tech. Right. Well, you know, what's funny about that is, um, another one of the the things about shield lore is all the cars can fly. 
Oh, okay. If you watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the TV show, Coulson has a 62 Corvette that was based off of one of the ones in the original comic book. And the wheels fold over a la uh, Back to the Future. Right. And they can fly. And when you look at the diagrams, Nick Fury actually says something like, you know, activate aerial mode or something like that. And it tells him it doesn't work. But you can see in the drivetrain thing, the little red section that goes to where the wheels, where the hovering portions are, aren't working. And I'm like... I love that. Yeah, yeah. I love it, that. It's very cool. Like, this is one of those moments where I have to go, okay, this is a Marvel movie. You can have a car that can detect that you have a broken arm mm-hmm. just like that. Absolutely. So, And let's not, you know, brush off the fact this is probably one of the best car chases I've seen in a movie oh in my like God. 15 years. It is so good. It's just insane how good this... And I love the pop-up machine gun slash grenade launcher <laughs> that comes out of the armrest. Yep. Hold it. Hold it now. Yeah. And I love, there's one part where he's like going around a corner and there's like a guy on foot that's by a bus stop. <laughs> and, and he hits and, and he, he smacks him and he stop. flies through the back of the bus stop. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's one of my favorite parts in that, in that chase. Or even, even the part where, when they're in the city traffic and they're trying, the cops trying to shoot at him and Fury's pulling in between this bus or something like that mm-hmm. and how they show the bullets they're, as they're, they're just firing indiscriminately. So while they're firing at him, if he go, pulls behind something, they're still shooting at whatever he pulls behind because they can't stop in enough time to to not do that. I'm like, I do that in every video game I play. <laughs> There's so much collateral damage when I have a gun. It's not even funny. Yeah. And I, I love that part where, where he's trying to figure out what's, what's working and what isn't. <laughs> and he's like, he's trying to get back in connection with Maria Hill. Get me Agent Hill. Communications array damaged. But what's not damaged? Air conditioning is fully operational. Air conditioning is fully operational. (laughs) (laughs) My one gripe with this whole scene is that this would be all over the news. Oh, absolutely. All over the news. Absolutely. And it just feels a little like... Well, and I mean... But again, I'm just... You don't know that it didn't. Right. You know? Right. In the end, what you should have seen was more people with cameras yeah. in the background. I think that's where they missed out the opportunity. It's for people to, yeah, hold up their cell phones. Right. Because, I mean, you could have had like a fourth alternate credit scene or third alternate credit scene where oh my they show God, a news report they of showed that. But here, Stuff on TikTok or something? You know what would have been funny is if the third scene was a complete throwaway and uh, they show it on the back of the TV and they pan away from the TV and you see uh, Robert Downey Jr. in the Iron Man army at a bir- uh, armor at a birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, fucking great. So then, just as he's lost the last of the cars, then out steps the Winter Soldier. And this is so, such a great introduction because one of my favorite things about this movie is just how absolutely capable, lethal, and effective. I think is probably mm-hmm. the most important word is effective that the Winter Soldier is. Every time the Winter Soldier steps in and starts doing work, he is far, he is like a thousand times more effective than any of the guys from Hydra. Mm-hmm. He's just, he immediately like screws up all of the plans of, mm-hmm. of S.H.I.E.L.D. or, you know, whether it's Fury or, or Cap or whoever. He is so just, he just stops people dead in their fucking tracks. Yep. And it's such a great introduction because just when he thought he's lost, he's gone through this whole amazing car chase and suddenly he just steps out and goes, you know what? No, you're stopping right here, motherfucker. Uh-huh. 
and just shoots the disc grenade thing that goes under his car and fucking overturns it. And, and I have to say, that's very reminiscent of that scene in The Dark Knight where the semi goes over. Yeah. So I got that vibe on it. I like it better in this one because of that ruthless efficiency. Yeah, exactly. So, and then of course, this being the super SUV that Nick Fury's car is, he has a little high-tech device to cut through the vehicle uh, and the street and escape into the sewers. (laughs) So, but, you know, it's Marvel. (laughs) If if you can accept the fact that you got a 70-year-old man who's frozen in ice. That's right. I mean, that's the thing is... I will say, for a movie with heightened reality, at least they play by the rules for the most part. There's there's very few times... There's there's a well, couple... We'll, there's have, a, we'll have some commentary about uh, even messing up their own Marvel internal rules here yes. in a little bit, but... Uh, I am well aware, but for the most part, they do a pretty good job. They, they do... The whole point was to try and ground this movie mm-hmm. into a level of reality that you weren't going to get with Avengers films. Right. So they did a really great job of that. Just when you state something can do something that's a Marvel thing, and then you change how it works because it fits the picture better. I have issues with that, but yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. So you cut tonight, and Rogers arrives at his apartment. In Brooklyn! Yeah! <laughs> and we get his uh, first glimpse of uh, Kate slash Agent 13 slash whatever. Um, and <laughs> after talking to her and kind of flirty, flirty, he becomes uh, suspicious when she mentions that he left his stereo on. So that's when he sneaks in through the window and finds the injured. <laughs> through the window. Through his own window. I, ca- I had to watch it a couple times so I realized he came in through the window. He didn't just go through the door. Right. You know, cause, <laughs> and what's what does he do when he gets in there? There's a shield. Just leaning on the wall, like, you know, just, I, I, uh, where am I going? You know, oh, I'm tired. I need a beer. Clank. <laughs> <laughs> so he comes in through the window and he finds the injured Fury sitting in a chair in the dark. And uh, he tells Rogers that his wife kicked him out while communicating through written text on his phone that the story is all just misdirection because they're being eavesdropped on. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, as you say, like ears everywhere or something, yeah, something like, like that. that. And kudos to Nick Fury for being such a fast text typer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very quick. <laughs> so then Fury tells Rogers that shield has been compromised. And um, this is definitely one of those moments where it really shows how much cap hates spy shit mm-hmm. <laughs> because when they're, they're talking in code and caps like, Oh, so we're friends now, you know, I thought that, you know, again, they just keep punching that in, that this is a soldier stuck in the middle of a spy story. Right. So just then, that's when Fury gets shot several times <laughs> as he's just... Casually standing cas- in front of three windows. Casually standing in front... plenty of clear fields of fire. Right. And none of the shades are drawn. <laughs> because even, even Falcon had the wherewithal to close the shades when they show up at his door. Right. <laughs> Nick Fury planned it. Yeah. It was an inside job. <laughs> so, yeah, he gets shot. And this is when we see, uh, somewhere in here, we see the Winter Soldier's face. Yeah, Bucky catches the shield after Cap goes chasing after That's him. right. That's right. And and I remember watching this and seeing his, <laughs> he's kind of got guideliner on. <laughs> and I was sort of goofing on it. But my wife was sitting next to me as we were watching it. And she was like, well... I kind of like it. And she sort of mentioned that it kind of gave him a Dias de Muertos type look mm-hmm. and that it kind of plays to the idea that he's essentially coming back from the dead. Mm-hmm. So 
maybe that was the whole... That mask does look kind of skull-like. Yeah, it's quite a an apt uh, observation there. I had, Kudos <laughs> to my wife. We need to bring her on as a guest. She has all the good things. All the good things. Um, so then, you know, Fury gives the USB drive to Rogers and tells him not to trust anyone um, before falling unconscious. Um, and, and at this point, Cap's neighbor smashes in the door, revealing herself to be Agent 13, who had been tasked by Fury to keep an eye on Rogers. So then we see Cap pursue Winter Soldier, jumping through the window into the next door office. And I love how he's just plowing through the doors. Can we, yeah, can, and can we point out, I like how at one point in time he has to make a right-hand turn and he's moving so fast he runs the shield into a wall to slow himself down. <laughs> yeah. This kind of keeps it t- playing with what Marvel's tried to do with at least the street-level violence. Yes. You know, and it, 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 it adds credence to what's happening in the boat at the beginning. He's so strong that sometimes even it gets away from him. Right. Even and his own strength gets away from him. Yeah, and he just exactly. kind of smashes into stuff in the process of just... But yeah, he hulks through all of those doors just by running with the shield, the shield punching through everything. Yeah. It's so- fabulous. <laughs> so then he, yeah, he throws the shield at Winter Soldier and... and uh, Clang! Catches it. So he's like, uh-oh. And he throws it back at him. And yeah. <laughs> air knocked out of him. So then he uh, jumps off the end of the building and essentially disappears. Like a ninja. Like a ninja. Or a winter soldier. Well, you know, a highly <laughs> specialized trained Hydra agent that uh, has been avoiding detection for years. Yes, exactly. So uh, Fury is taken to a hospital in critical condition, obviously. Uh, Rogers, Romanoff, and Hill are there. Mm-hmm. And we find out that the slugs are untraceable and probably Russian. Um, and it kind of makes you wonder if oh, Romanoff is blaming herself for all this. She is. You can tell that look when they tell her what, when Hill tells her what the bullet is, she just gets this sort of, oh shit look on her face. Yeah. Like, did I, did I cause all this? Well, no, I, it's a, I think it's a moment of recognition. She recognizes the bullet pattern as the one that she talks about happening to her later, she knows who it is. Oh, I see what you're saying. So right. she can, re- she's like, Oh, this is the winter soldiers. Yeah, this, yeah. This is from, I know something of this from history. Again, Scarlett Johansson selling the character super subtle in this case. Yeah. Why yeah. does she not get an, an Oscar nomination for being this character? <laughs> Jeez. Also, now you got to think, does Hill know this is all happening and she has to play sad for these two because Nick told her to? I think she is playing sad, but at the same time, I think she actually is legitimately sad because he's still... Oh, absolutely. He's still in, in a bad place. You know, he's got broken bones and... Right. Well, maybe she doesn't even know. He may not actually pull through, but I right. think at this... She's like, I have to take his body. Of course you do because they got to go take him to an underground lair and fix him. Right, exactly. FYI, the doctor the, with the glasses that's doing the surgery, that's Anthony Russo, one of the directors. Oh, and he's also the doctor that's down in the pit with them when they show up again. <laughs> and he's also one of the uh, people from uh, Endgame, one of the PTSD people. It, yeah, I love it when directors put themselves in there sort of... But in- it's only him. It's like his brother's like, I don't want any of that. <laughs> okay, no, you. I'll direct the camera while you're on screen. Shut up. Well, it's sort of like Bond too. Like you never see a Barbara Broccoli cameo, uh-uh. but you always see a Michael G. Wilson. Yeah, sure, exactly. <laughs> one of them's a ham, one of them doesn't care. Right, exactly. <laughs> so during this, uh, his heart, quote unquote, stops during the surgery. And after the doctors, quote unquote, fail to revive him, uh, Romanoff is trying to sort of make peace with Fury's passing. And Rogers is secretly trying to figure out what to do with the USB stick. Finally, his body is collected by Maria Hill, 
Um, but in the hallway, of the hospital, Romanoff questions Rogers on why Fury was in his apartment because Romanoff is a spy and she mm-hmm. she knows what's up. She knows there's something going on. So Roger says he doesn't know. <laughs> and of course, Romanoff is like, you're a terrible liar. Mm-hmm. And then just sort of walks off. Um, and just and just then also Rumlow tells Rogers that he's wanted at the Triskelion for an urgent meeting. Yeah, but... It's funny. He's like, yeah, okay. And then you got to go now, Cap. And Cap's like, shut the fuck up, Rumlow. I mean, in Captain America style, but uh, he really had that, you need to fucking step back, dude. And Rumlow's like, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll just see myself. Yeah, I'm going to go back over we'll here go, with the guys. Go back over here we're best buddies, it's, right? It's we're fine. still buddies, right? Right, you and me, we're great. We're always going to be friends, Cap. It's fine. We're it's friends fine. to we're, the end. It's fine. Thanks. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going. <laughs> Until my end. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, feeling suspicious, Rogers quickly hides the USB in the vending machine. And behind bubblegum. <laughs> but there's a reason I point that out. <laughs> yes. We'll get to it. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, I know why. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so at uh, the Triskelion, he's questioned by Pierce, uh, who says he is one of Fury's oldest friends and wants to know who killed him. Meanwhile, however, Pierce then essentially expresses his belief that Fury had the Lumerian Star hijacked as a cover for him to sell intelligence secrets. But of course, as we know, Fury was trying to get the information off the se- off the ship in the first place. Dirty dog. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think he was trying to sell that. I because th- I think at the you point. Don't think so? No, because I think he he was stating what everybody else thinks, but saying he knows Nick Fury the man, and that's like there's a scene where he's like, "So why are we here? Why do you think we're talking, Captain?" Yeah, because if you knew, because uh, Rogers goes, if you knew really knew Nick Fury, you know that wasn't the case. Right, that's why we're talking. So I think he was trying to, he was furthering by exposition. But I do think he was trying to build suspicion in Cap, plant a seed of doubt, maybe. Yeah, like that's what I think. I I guess that's what I was trying to sort of get across is that I think, yeah, I think he's trying to be like, look, this is how it looks, but I know, I know Nick Fury. Yeah, but he also but knows this is that what happened. He also knows that Captain America is having trouble, probably getting trouble getting in line with things from Fury. Right. And so maybe and he's trying to and and again, Cap is clearly fish out of water. Right. It's obvious to everyone around him, and he's still sort of trying to make sense of everything. And so that's yeah. Yeah, I can see he's trying to out spymaster the spy master. Right. Which is never gonna work when you're talking about Nicholas J. Motherfucking Fury. Right. So <laughs> So Rogers uh, does not trust Pierce and says nothing about the USB or the circumstances of Fury's death, merely just sort of reiterating that Fury uh, said not to trust anyone. And I find it interesting that Rogers just sort of chooses his time to leave. Yeah. Isn't Pierce kind of his boss? Oh, well, he's Fury's te- boss. Te- right. So I mean, it's like when I worked at Coca-Cola, technically... Uh, uh, Mutar Kent was my boss, but you know, uh, if he ever came into my office, he'd be like, "Yeah, I got work to do. See you later, Mutar." Um, uh, yeah, Captain America. So they already said it. Cap does what Captain America wants to do. Right. That is so, the thing. He's he's this super soldier. He can kind of do what he wants. I guess. Yeah. And you know, it's funny that after his critique of how badly he lies from Natasha, he limits what he says about what Nick says and only points out the things that were truly said. To Pierce, right. he comes off way more convincing in his conversation with Pierce than he did with Natasha. Right. 
Well, also, you look at Natasha, and it's kind of hard not to... But he's probably got no conflict. Well, yes, I mean, obviously, <laughs> but he's got no conflict with Natasha. He right. wants to trust Natasha, which right. makes it more difficult for him to be untrustworthy. Exactly. Whereas with Pierce, he's got no, probably no bona fides with him at all. Right. It sounds like they were just meeting for the first time right. when he went into the office. So, but he, so he totally goes into, all Nick said is that I shouldn't trust anybody. Yeah. And that's all he says about the entire just conversation. Leaves it at that and moves on. Yep. So anyway, he leaves Pierce with the intention to go to the hospital. However, we have the turning point that sort of gets us into act 2 of this uh movie. And oh, what a turning point. What a turning point indeed. My favorite scene in the entire movie. We're heading into WAF territory. I don't know, man. You, Pretty you, soon. You didn't hit any WAFs with the Scarlett Johansson, the double guns, you're the great, so... Well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Who is fun? There we go. It's <laughs> a retroactive WAF moment. <laughs> <laughs> retroactive from the past. All right, so uh, we cut to Rogers getting into the same elevator he was riding with uh, with Fury earlier in the film. Um, he's going to go down, so I said before, so he can go out to the uh, hospital to retrieve the USB device. As he's going down, the elevator stops. Rumlow comes in with another guy, uh, gives him some BS line about, you know, ballistics came back on the, right. the shooting, you and you want, to get the, you want to get the strike team ready. And, and Rogers like, no, 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 let's wait and see what they finally come up with. And he's like, okay. And then... Uh, we stop at another thing. A few more guys get on. Rumble says something about, you know, I'm sorry about uh, Nick Fury. It kind of sucks. Da, 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 da. I love how, like, casual it is. It's it's so not convincing no, like, I, or sincere at all. Right, it's and just... you can see the wheels turning in Roger's head while he's yeah. doing it, right? So they get to another floor. More guys come in. Another floor. Too many guys. So now there's all – and the last guys who come in are in suits with briefcases. Right, but the uh, one guy is – yeah, so every you see the one guy with the sweat. Well, down. yeah. So as the process of all these people coming in, they're pushing Rogers further and further back into the 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 elevator. So he's back against the wall, and all of them are in front of him. Rogers is looking around, sees one of the guys in the suit with the bead of sweat that indicates that he's nervous and something else is about to happen. Right. You know that old trope. It reminds me of uh, um, the Arnold. Uh, yeah, Total Recall. Total Recall. Mm-hmm. When the guy comes in to be like, I am a figment of your imagination here to rescue you from your own mind, yada, yada, yada. Yep, and then it's he like, sees a bead of sweat and shoots him in the head. Right. <laughs> in this case, he doesn't shoot anybody at the head. But uh, as he gets in there, he says, he realizes what's going on. Rogers realizes what's going on. And he, and he says, well, before this begins, does anybody want to get off? <laughs> Which is the best line in the movie. Oh, yeah. I love it so much. And it's followed up. The, the, the elevator stops. They get into a scrum. It's followed by the second best line in the movie. It's not the personal cap, you know, from Rumlo. <laughs> it's he's jabbing one of Black Widow's shock sticks into him. Right. So basically what you have is Captain America fighting 12 guys in an elevator <laughs> while they're trying to t- detain him with these magnetic grapples that they got from the briefcases to hold him up to the back of the elevator. And they managed to get one into him, but he, he's Captain America. What do you think is going to happen? Right. He's going to pull it off eventually. So he's fighting with Rumlo. Rumlo's shocking him. He's punching Rumlo. He's kicking people i mean i can't even remember the choreography of the fight because it's so close knit that it's kind of hard to see everything but long and short of it captain america kicks everybody's ass because it's captain america and then i do love i do love the fact that they include though those magnetic things because it adds 
it adds a really interesting, it gives it a little bit more personality. It's not just... Just a fight scene. It's not just a fight scene where Cap is beating up all these guys. Instead, there's this obstacle that he's dealing with yeah. in the meantime that that makes it a memorable fight. It's that building of suspense that the Russo brothers are doing this whole thing. Yeah. These guys know you can't take Captain America on your own, even if there's 12 of you in a closed room, they need to get him secured in a way where they can render him unconscious right. and take care of him that way. But doesn't happen. Kicks all their asses. He gets over, kicks the shield up in a, in a skateboard maneuver, <laughs> takes it, it, and then hits the cuff, the magnetic cuff, and breaks it, and then says, it kind of feels personal. <laughs> right? Yeah. The third best line in the movie. Yeah. Um, so he starts the elevator again. Well, he doesn't start the elevator again. He goes and using his enhanced strength, opens up the elevator door sees and sees Morgan. a bunch of SWAT, uh, <laughs> shield SWAT guys charge it to him and closes the door again. Now, I want to point out, he put an awful lot of effort into opening those uh, elevator doors when in the next movie he managed to keep a helicopter from flying away. I mean, I'm pretty sure I can't open up an elevator door by myself, but I feel like that's in the realm of a normal human being being able to do yeah, that. Yeah, and this enough. is a super soldier, so... Yeah, no, to be fair, maybe S.H.I.E.L.D. Triskelion headquarters this has... This is the Triskelion. Su- ...has some super strong doors. Right. I mean, he does jump through the jumping doors of death in the garage in a few minutes. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> anyway, Cap's like, well, I ain't going that way. Um, and promptly decides, well, fine. Uh, I got a S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm just going to go through the window. <laughs> now... I didn't exactly count floors, but I'm pretty sure that Pierce's office is on the 48th floor. Yeah. He says that to Nick Fury. 49th floor. It takes something like this to get you to come up one floor to get where you're at, and Fury's on the 49th floor. So let's assume Pierce is on the 50th floor. Right. They only went down, like, what, five floors before the fight started? Right. So Cap jumps out and drops 45 stories into the atrium. And uh, landing on his shield. On his shield. But... And this is where we talk about uh, the internal logic of Marvel. Right. The shield's job is designed to absorb and redirect force. That's what vibranium does. Okay. So when you throw anything at vibranium, whatever the the, the kinetic motion that comes at it, it is negated. It Okay. So, yes, that is technically fine considering what his body can do without it. Mm-hmm. But you got to give Evans credit. He made it look like it hurt. Yeah. When he got out of there. Or he just sort of pulls himself up off the floor. Yeah, like a oof Yeah. Kind of thing. But again, he's a 70-year-old frozen guy. He shields magic. <laughs> you got to go with it. Yeah. So anyway, he goes running off. We we cut to the situation room at S.H.I.E.L.D. where uh, good old Jasper Sitwell is somehow running everything again, right? And uh, he's <laughs> I, given... he. Can I just say that the guy that plays Jasper Sitwell... It plays him perfectly. Like he's such a dislikable character. Uh, well, but you know what? On the on the Agents of Shield TV show, he really wasn't. Oh, really? Uh, they they made the the kind of the creepier aspects of the character for the movies only. So Sitwell's in charge. He's giving the standard. Uh, we have so much cool technology that we can break into I everybody's privacy. Thing. Yeah, I hate. That. It is such a born identity moment. It is so. That that's it, it's the exact same scene that you've yes. seen in every Bourne movie. Where traffic whoever, camera, cell phone right, camera. Whether it's the woman that's directing the thing or whether it's the other guy that's in the Bourne movie yep. that's always directing the, the, the room full of computers yep. with a bunch of screens up and showing traffic 
yeah, traffic exactly. lights. I want and, red lights from here all the way to Dulles and Reagan and all that. And he's calling all the airports. <laughs> yeah. And and then in comes Sharon Carter. She's like, what the fuck are we doing? This is Captain America. Yeah, why are we why spying? Why are we spying on Captain America? We deserve to know. Right. And then in walks, you know, old Butch Cassidy and Sundance <laughs> kid himself. Uh, because he's marish, marish, well, well, that's the thing. So Pierce comes walking. He says it's because we think he's involved with Nick Fury's death, a bunch of other things. And he didn't. And, he lied about. He lied about why he was in his apartment right. and what was going on. But then and, he says something that I think is kind of weird. He says he's a fugitive from Shield. Well, who the fuck is Shield? Like, if if he's a fugitive, then why why is Shield after him? Well, that, exactly. If he's a fugitive from justice, that's not Shield. Right. That's the FBI. Right. You know, a few. I, I just the term fugitive from Shield is like, well, we're not really anybody that you can be a fugitive from because we're not really law enforcement. There's kind of law enforcement in the name, but that's the old name, and I don't know. Right. It, it, so it's just, yeah. The, the whole reasoning seems kind of it almost hints that he's Hydra already. Well, exactly, because it's such a lame thing, and you can tell that's not what happened in his office. Right. You know, it could be an interpretation by somebody of what happened in his office, but right. that's not what happened in his office. But anyway, so we cut back to uh, to Captain America launching his motorcycle out of the Jaws of Doom garage door. <laughs> Clang! <laughs> he gets on that really long bridge, which actually is a real bridge. Oh, yeah? It's a Franklin Delano Roosevelt Bridge. I don't know what it goes to, but that whole area is real. Okay. And they just plug the triskelion into it, which, great. So he's driving mm-hmm. on the bridge. They're trying the countermeasures. I'm on my Harley Davidson. I'm Captain America. You know, you're not stopping and then, me. And then... And then... The Quinjet shows up, orders him to stand down. Who is I mean, come on. <laughs> You've just been waiting the whole podcast. I've really been waiting. Because this, 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 for me, as soon as I saw this, I'm like... This is worthy of the woo as fuck button. It's, I mean, it certainly is. He takes down a jet when he's jumping, it literally Tom Cruise style jumping off his motorcycle in midair, throws his shield, <laughs> it takes down the whole jet, and then he flippy flips over it and then lands on the other side with the shield in the pose. With the shield Clang. in the pose. I mean, you don't get more woo as fuck than that. No, you, you certainly don't. And yet it seems to work better. Well, it's more believable than actual when it's, John Woo moments. I'm just saying. Well, there were no dubs. No dubs. I actually tried Did, to look. Is that a is that a qualifier? Because if so, I might have to rethink this thing. Well, you know, there's a dub scene in, in Black Widow. I hope there you is. Caught. There is. We yeah. didn't talk about it. Well, because it would have been a spoiler. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Anyway, so Cap gets free. Ha ha, shield sucks. <laughs> um, we cut to him uh, wearing a hood because, you know, covering up his face <laughs> with a hood isn't going to. I like, like the guy says at the Apple store, specimen. Yeah. Right? You know, this, how you're not going to be able to tell this is Captain America right. underneath this thing, but I love the fact that you have two of the most beautiful people on the planet trying to go incognito mm-hmm. in a mall. Are mm-hmm. you kidding me? Everyone would be turning their heads at either the guy or the girl. Absolutely. Because they're like both astonishingly attractive people. Well, but you know, Natasha has countermeasures for that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, he goes up to the uh, he goes back up to the vending machine in the hospital to get the USB oh, right, that's right. behind the the bubble gum yeah. machine, and it's gone. And, and guess he's chewing bubble gum. <laughs> right, yeah, right, right. So you see her face in the reflection next to his face, face and. <laughs> and she just starts snapping her gum. So he grabs her rather brusquely. 
Yes, indeed. Shoves her into a a storage closet Mm -hmm. and then uh, starts grilling Romanov about what the hell is going on. He kind of accuses her of conspiring with uh, Fury for the intelligence sale, which I don't think even he wants to believe. Right. But he doesn't know where to turn on here because nobody's being fucking truthful with him. Right. Which is why he's so pissed off. And he's not a good spy. No, he's not a good spy. He's better at just sort of... But... Again, he needs straightforward things. And so it's really hard for him to connect dots... Outside of that, right? You know, mindset that he's in, it's hard for him to like try and think out way out there, right? Well, you got to remember at the beginning of the thing, his biggest gripe is that Nick didn't tell him, yeah, what Natasha. If he had known that that was Natasha's other mission, mm-hmm. he probably wouldn't have gotten as torqued about it. He right. would have adjusted in his thinking where he needed to be and let Natasha do what he needed to do. It was the compartmentalization that he didn't like about what Nick was doing. Not necessarily that maybe Nick has another agenda that needs to go with it. Right. So but it's the a problem fact is, that, is that it was the right thing to do because like Brock didn't know about it. Well, absolutely. But and that, you know, and that, and that was a crucial, that was actually a crucial thing to, to, right. You know, to not let him know about. Right. But I mean, that's kind of the whole point of it. It's it's not that they're spies. You know, I think Captain America accepts that these people have to exist in the world. Right. He just feels that if he's being placed in charge of things, he needs to know, he needs to know everything that's going on. Yeah. And if Fury says, I'm only telling you this, nobody else knows, Captain America's not going to tell anybody. Right. That's right? true. So, but yeah, I digress. Anyway, <laughs> so he's trying, you know, he's trying to get the information that he wants. He figures out, I think, that Natasha knows something about the person that shot Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, she goes into this whole, you know... The lore. The lore story, right? You know, it's not her origin, but something happened in the back where she's protecting this Iranian nuclear scientist, um, the Winter Soldier. She, well, she gives the whole thing about how the Winter Soldier's a ghost, all this other thing, how she meets him in order to kill her suspect. He shoots a scientist <laughs> through her using the same caliber bullet and type of bullet that, that killed, Fury. Did, did, killed Nick Fury. And then, she, you know, she makes a joke. He's like, bye-bye bikinis. He's and like, yeah, I'm it, sure you yeah, look horrible yeah, at him now. Which is so funny because <laughs> that doesn't. that's not something that Captain America would have said even two years before, right? That would have been right. improper. Yeah. But uh, that line is just... It's, but it, it's begging for that line. It, it's, it is, and I think it establishes the level of personal interaction that the two of them have and yeah. how badly Rogers wants to trust her but he knows that he cannot. Right. You know, and that drives him crazy because he's not used to not being able to trust the people that he fights with. Right. But anyway, we pretty much established, you know, what Winter Soldier's uh, shtick is and why nobody's been able to find him, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Um, he shows her the the drive. We're all happy about the drive. They got to figure out what it is. They go off and we cut over to Pierce and the council. Now, Pierce is arguing that Fury wasn't a traitor. Uh, in an, an effort to uh, look on the up and up, the council moves to resume Project Insight, which is, of course, what Pierce wants. Um, but he's basically maneuvering him into it with all of his little interplay. And uh, they go yeah. along. Can I also say that it's funny that this council, mm-hmm. they mentioned the council in the original Avengers. Okay. Um, Powers Booth was the American character in it. Okay. Um, and he's not in here, which I noticed immediately they replaced him with another American guy. But Jenny Augutter, the the woman that Natasha impersonates later, right. is in the Avengers. Okay. Um, and nobody knows who Jenny Augutter is because she's an English actress, but did you ever see American Werewolf in London? Oh, so long ago that I, I couldn't. No, oh, well, she's she's the chick that, that the werewolf 
uh, the nurse that the werewolf nails okay. in that movie, which I watched over and over and over again for a lot of times. <laughs> uh, she's also in Logan's Run. That's the other thing that I remember. Okay. From. But uh, I, it's just funny that they replaced everybody else on the council, but kept her. Because mm-hmm. they needed a female character, but they could have just as easily gotten somebody else, but they kept her. Now, here's a question for you. Do you think that they did CGI to put her face on the top, on Scarlett Johansson's body? Or Only maybe in that one scene. Because just because if you want it to be convincing that it's the same person's body, do you know what I mean? I don't know. I think that because I, I mean that I, that woman is significantly older. <laughs> well, she's older, but I think she was still in good enough shape to look like she was Natasha. And I don't think they did any. That, that seems yeah. like an awful waste of CGI aside from the mask coming off. I bet um, the discussion was had though. Eh, <laughs> I'm gonna maybe. tell you right now, based on things I've seen in my realm, <laughs> that's fair. That discussion took place. That's fair. <laughs> I'm not gonna say that's not fair, but I, I you know, I don't know. I. I I, I'm fairly certain there was a stunt double involved at some point with the karate kicky stuff, right. but uh, I'm pretty sure most of that was Jenny Augutter when it was Jenny Augutter. Uh, also, um, don't trust the guy from the the Asian guy from there because he's really good with calculations, <laughs> but he will turn on you in a second, as we all saw in Dark Knight Returns. So um, <laughs> keep that in mind. Uh, anyway, so again, the council goes along with reinitiating Project Insight. We cut to the mall scene where right. This is this is what I was talking about earlier. <laughs> I just love having these two gorgeous individuals like walking through a mall. Like they're some somehow going to be. Oh well, he's got a hat on now. He's incognito. Oh, she's got a hood on. Oh, now nobody can tell that she's right. Well, and the fact that he's ten feet taller than she is. So there's there's that straight up dichotomy between the two of them anyway. Right. I think Scarlett Johansson walking around in a mall by herself is just that's a hot chick. I think six foot two Chris Evans in his bodybuilder phase is a lot more of a standout than anything else, yeah. no matter what you put on him. Right. You just, you're not getting past those shoulders. Right. And you're definitely not getting past America's ass. <laughs> um, so, uh, Natasha wants to try and get access to this USB thing. They go to an Apple store because <laughs> Apple paid money, I'm assuming, but also because it's a public forum, which would be harder right. to track. Um, she gets in there, and this is this is the funny thing about Natasha. She's like the person who wrote this is slightly smarter than me, slightly, slightly. Right? And you just like, how does she know? She is literally the James Bond character in this because she knows fucking everything. everything. Yeah. Fly a plane, sure. Decrypt a decryption code on a computer, sure. How to get us out of the mall without being detected by the Hydra agents? Yeah, exactly. She knows everything. And so while they're in there, we get, I've been Aaron. <laughs> who who, all, who acts like he's going to recognize he's Captain America with this. I have those same glasses because apparently uh, for Steve Rogers, the Clark Kent technique is the most effective that's, technique. That's right. That's right. It works just fine. Um, uh, so Aaron's the genius, the, the genius bar guy that comes over to try and help him. And they make up some lame story about getting married and honeymooning in New, New Jersey. Jersey. As New Jersey pops up as the location of where Great. it was programmed. Um, <laughs> the guy just kind of cracks me up and gets the whole line. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, we're just because uh, Natasha says, oh, guys, you guys are like twins. It's like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Specimen. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, a funny thing on this one. Um, so this guy, Aaron, apparently is in Endgame 
when Thor's playing video games with Korg and Korg starts crying because Noob Master 69 is uh, is picking on him again. <laughs> that guy, Aaron, is uh-huh. Noob Master 69. Oh, my God. I knew there had to be. Because as soon as I saw him, I'm like, Jason's going to know where this guy comes from. <laughs> it was in an Xbox ad. But anyway, so they get the they can't crack the encryption because it's too thorough for Blackwood to get through. Right. But they do determine the location of where it was programmed. Seems a little sketchy to me, but okay, I'm going to run with it because we got to move the plot forward. Sure. Um, they leave and immediately realize that S.H.I.E.L.D. is there and that S.H.I.E.L.D. Hydra is there and that they are uh, tracking after him. So... You they get do. this whole you get this whole lesson on an escalator about yeah. uh I love how it's human like psychology spy and spying 101 yeah. by Natasha Romanoff. Yeah, and she's like <laughs> laugh like I said something really funny and Steve's like what? Laugh. <laughs> and the other guy looks the other way and you're just like damn, she's a badass. Right. But then you get the scene when they're on the escalator and they see Rumlo coming and she's like kiss me. He's like what? Kiss me, and then she kissing makes people uncomfortable, to, and they look away. And, but he goes, "Yes, it does." <laughs> <laughs> and she grabs him, and she kisses him anyway. And then Rumlo, Rumlo misses him, which I'm like, "Oh, come, come on, on Rummy, man. yeah, come on, dude, you are so on point, and you can't see ten foot tall Steve Rogers and hot redhead over here that you've been working with for two years, right? Right." So I, I wish it had been one of Rumlow's lackeys and not Rumlow, because yeah, I think it diminishes it Rumlow's character. Yeah, that too. Right? But maybe nobody's interested in doing that because he's a bad guy, but I am because Rumlow's a badass. <laughs> um, but anyway. I don't understand this love you have for Rumlow, but I'll keep I'll go with it. I like, I like Frank Grillo, the actor. Okay. That's fair enough. And I thought they were going to make him the Punisher forever. Oh, okay. Because he looks like the comic version I of would Punisher. Have, I would have actually almost preferred it. I think. No, I like I like that they got Shane from uh, John John Rosenthal for whatever. Yeah, Burnthal. he is good. because he's a better actor, I think, than Frank Grillo is, and so he can play emotion a little better. Mm-hmm. But my idea of the Punisher is I have no emotion. I just shooty shooty bang bang, and Grillo is perfect for shooty shooty bang bang, and knowing that his character becomes is a bad guy already, I knew it was happening. But he had such good chemistry with Chris Evans that I wanted to see like the prequel show, you know, Lethal Weapon, Cap and and, and Crossbones or whatever. <laughs> you know, I wanted to see more of the boat mission where he's working with these people he's chummy with. They're all professional. Right. They got each other's but he makes snarky jokes. You know, he I wanted him to be Falcon, I think is what happened, but, but that's not gonna happen because He's Frank Grillo. Yeah. You wanted like kind of like the team that was in Predator before mm-hmm. before the alien showed up. Exactly. If Shane Black had written this movie, we would have gotten more of those buddy moments because it would have been total lethal weapon across the board. <laughs> and then you would have had the shoe drop. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> no. But anyway, so they get out of there. Um, they cut to them driving in a in a pickup truck. That they stole. That they stole. <laughs> and, you know, uh, Natasha's like, so where does Captain America learn to steal a car? Right. And he's like, Nazi Germany. Get your feet off the dash and we're borrowing it. You know? <laughs> I just love how she's just constantly jabbing at him. Uh-huh. It's just, and that's, like you said before, that's the, that's the Natasha Romanoff that you want to see in, you know, that's the one that we wanted to see in Black Widow so badly, yeah. which we didn't get a whole lot of. No, it may, I, I can think of a lot of reasons why, but at the end of the day, it's more because that was less about her being Black Widow and how things were going to move forward. Right. But yeah, it was, uh, she, this is her best form. I think that they started to water her down a little bit as the movies continued right. because she basically chose a side. 
Mm-hmm. And that side was Captain America's side. And yeah. when you're on Captain America's side, you have to act by Captain America's rules. Right. And I feel like her her evolution, or at least like her effectiveness as a character, is like a perfect bell curve. Because mm-hmm. like at the beginning, they way over-sexualized, like hyper-sexualized her in yep. Iron Man 2. And, and it, it, that, <laughs> I mean, it has its qualities, but it's but it doesn't... F- flesh out the character no, no pun and no pun intended it it's not it doesn't give her any substance and then finally we hit the perfect this is the perfect right. movie for her right because she goes the other direction where she starts turning into too much of a good guy right so by end game she's running the avengers more yeah. or less and she's become or more or less maybe a more of a nick fury but i mean she's running the operation she's not working in the shadows anymore she's giving direction doing stuff and you lose some of that charisma that she has in this one right so that's fine. The character it's a great character arc from beginning to end, mm-hmm. but we're at the we're at the pinnacle of where this character yeah. is as far as contributing in a meaningful way, I think, to yeah. the dialogue and, and the general character development of everybody else. I love how she she kind of ribs him about not being able to like was being that, unpracticed in kissing. Was that and... your first kiss since nineteen forty five? Was it that bad? <laughs> Well, you know, and, and it goes into the whole thing about, you know, what depends on what your truth is and, you know, um, blah, 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 blah. She's like, we well, might be in the wrong business, Rogers. Right. And uh, and that's another great thing that they bring that line back mm-hmm. on both sides of the of the story. Right. right. Well, and she asked him flat out, well, do you trust me? And he's like, I do now. Right. But that clearly establishes that he didn't before. Right. He wanted to, but he didn't right. before. Um, and so, I mean, it, but it, even that doesn't happen until after this next scene that we're about mm-hmm. to talk about. So they they drive to New Jersey, New Jersey. and they find a quick stop. Yeah, <laughs> and two and, there's, and there's, two delinquents are standing outside. A guy with a trench coat, a guy with long blonde hair. I don't know what's happening. Uh, wouldn't it be funny if like Camp Lehigh was in Red Bank? Uh, you know, Kevin Smith has figured that out somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. But anyway, so they end up going to New Jersey, and they go back to Camp Lehigh, which is where Rogers got his army training and uh, before getting the super soldier serum out there. So, um, you know, she's like, you recognize this place? Like, yeah, this is where I come from, more or less. They look around. They can't find any obvious reason why this computer the USB stick would have come from here. Right. And then Rogers notices something odd. There's a uh, weapons or an ammunition depot. That's too close to where the the barracks are, according to Army regulations. Which right. you know, only which is Captain such a, America only is going to note that. Right, only <laughs> Captain America would know that. So they walk over. It's locked. Shield employed. Clang. Lock broke. <laughs> they go inside, and you're cl- they're clearly in an old Shield uh, base, which right. we now learn is the Shield base. We learn later that's the Shield base we see in Endgame mm-hmm. uh, when when they go back in time to go get the Cosmic Cube from Stark's dad. That's the oh, same, same okay. army base. But uh, they go in, and Natasha's like, oh, this is like some kind of old shield base. Oh, you think maybe because that gigantic circle with the shield logo, did that give it away to Natasha? <laughs> hmm. Thanks, Captain Obvious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought he was the captain. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, they go inside, um, 
and they against the wall are the the direct the, the original founders of Shield. You got uh, Tommy Lee Jones's Colonel character in there. You got Howard Stark played by uh, Dominic. Uh, what's his name? From, oh, from yeah. Preacher, the the younger version, not not the uh, right, right, not the the Mad Matt or not the the Mad Men guy that came on later. I cannot remember names today. Um, and then you've got Piggy Carter on there, and she's like, "Oh, look, there's Howard Stark. Who's the girl?" And Cap just kind of looks at her like, "No comment," and just keeps on walking. You know, I'm like, "Oh, come on, Cap, tell just, her the sad tell story. Her. Tell her the come sad on. story." And Cap's probably like, "If I tell her that I've been pining over this girl for seven years, she's gonna think I'm a real pussy. So I'm not gonna <laughs> do that." Um, but they start looking around again. They're not finding anything that looks like it would be technologically able to create this device. Mm-hmm. And that's when uh, Cap notices the wind blowing behind the bookcase. Right, a little bit of breeze. Right, and I'm just like, you know, this is a super spy organization. Nobody noticed that this was here. <laughs> I mean, it's no- a, it's a an office full of spies that don't realize that there's another secret passageway yeah, and, Maybe, I, uh, and i get that it, i get that they're trying to say this is how oblivious shield was uh, so they figure out there's a there's a secret elevator behind the bookcase to which captain america says why do you need a secret elevator in a bunker that's already a secret right so at least, thank goodness, Captain America pointed that out. He pointed out the obvious. For once, he was the one that made the observation. Yeah, absolutely. There is a very sophisticated computer door lock on this yes. very old building. And I, this was one of those moments where the elevated, heightened reality tech, I was a little suspect of when they just put the phone up to the to the number pad and and oh well, this is the code, no prob. We got this. Well, if you look at it carefully, there's fingerprints. Right. So it's telling you which buttons were used. Right. And then it's probably running all the combinations based on the the, hit, the keypads that were pressed. Right. I would say that it probably read the fingerprints to see what level of pressure was on it. Right. right. You know, because, How many times it's been... Right. Because if you're going in there twice, you're going to hit... There'll be two fingerprints. So there's only one fingerprint. Boop, boop, boop. When you hit it, you start off, you go one, easy, easy, end. Right? So you know maybe those two... I could justify this all day long. I think it's fine. <laughs> the fact that there's this lock on it, I guess, indicates that people have obviously been talking to Arnhem since. Oh, sorry. We haven't gotten to that point yet. <laughs> um, anyway, so they get on the elevator. They go down, and they get into this gig- I, literally a gigantic bank of $6 million man-style 1970s <laughs> computer reel-to-reel tapes. I love it. I love it's, it. As far as the eye can see, right? And you're like, this is an awful lot of damn computers. <laughs> They walk up to what appears to be the center console, multiple TV monitors. <laughs> and I got to tell you, when I watched this movie and what happens happens, I was like, yeah, in the movie theater. People must have thought I was insane. <laughs> but they see uh, on the thing, I mean, literally, this is old computer tech. This is pre-Apple computer right. tech. And there's this modern, shiny USB drive that clearly was where our, our hub, where the, where the hot drive goes into. And Natasha's going, this stuff's ancient. You know, blah, right. blah, 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 blah. She goes in. She tries typing stuff in. After she plugs it in. Shall we play a game? It's from a movie that was really popular. That's my favorite. I love it. Absolutely. And she starts explaining to, man, basically mansplaining it. To <laughs> yeah, Rogers. I was like, like, yeah, yeah I saw it. <laughs> Cut to the chase, Romanoff. <laughs> so they activate the computer. And on the big green cathode ray tube monitor, we get a very ghostly digitized face of Arnim Zola, 
the the bad guy from uh, First Avenger that worked for uh, the Red Skull. Zola, as he... Natasha Romanov. Natasha Romanov. (laughs) Steven Rogers. (laughs) Yeah. And then he doesn't talk like that the whole time, but it's like, (laughs) I have to wake up. And now I'm awake. The computers are still warming up. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we play a game? It would have been funnier if he'd said it, actually. It would have been. Um, But anyway... So we get this exposition about what's going on with Zola. This So Zola got brought over during Operation Paperclip in World War II, except instead of coming through the OSS, he came through S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, he helped them to build technologies and all the things that they're using to go on there, but still secretly was forwarding the HYDRA initiative right. underneath their noses. Literally says, we did it under their noses. I know about it. <laughs> And uh, I do like how he, Roger's like, he was a German scientist that worked with Red Skull. I, he says Red Skull so weird. Red Skull. You know, like it's one whole word. Red Skull. Um, well, it's kind of like when you hear people in Britain pronounce things the way that they pronounce them, which right. is, you know, very different from, you know, if they right. say aluminium. Aluminium. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he worked for Red Skull. Correction. I am Swiss. You know, <laughs> shut up, Toby Jones. I mean, I love you, Toby Jones, but shut up. But anyway, he starts unleashing his uh, what the evil plan is, that he's developing this algorithm that's used for Project Insight, um, and that, uh, you know, this is all coming to unfold under everybody's noses, and nobody's supposed to know about it, except now that you know about it, I'm just stalling while uh, some bad Hydra Shield people come over and try and blow the shit out of you. So, right. see, you wouldn't want to be a... <laughs> yeah. Bye. <laughs> yeah, I also I also forgot to point out that the reason there's a gigantic set of computer banks here is that Zola developed cancer and had his consciousness right. deployed into this... Come on. 1970s computer technology? I don't care how many reel-to-reels you got out there. I feel like you can't get a human consciousness on magnetic tape, but maybe I'm wrong. He's on Reddit. (laughs) You would have thought he would have upgraded by now is what I'm saying. I mean, he's kind of a Nazi, so he's probably on Reddit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, So, yep, guess what? Uh, Natasha's phone somehow has the ability to track missiles. That's pretty great, (laughs) right? We got an inbound coming, Cap, we're hosed. And so he's like, no, we're not. I'm going to pick up this really heavy grate. Woo, float away. We are going to jump into this pit, and I'm going to, we're going to survive because I have a shield and I'm awesome. And (laughs) missile comes, blows up. Guess what? They survive. Um, And, uh, you know, they. That handy dandy shield. That shield is pretty damn great. Um, So they, they get out of there just as the Rumlow and the strike team show up, uh, start looking for him. Rumlow sees a footprint. He knows that they got away. So we go from there and uh, we cut to Pierce's house. Um, he's in the kitchen. Looks like he's getting ready to make a snack. He's getting some milk. He's, get, he's, he's a milk drinking fella. Well, of course he is because he's an all-American guy. That's right. Um, his housekeeper's in the house. Uh, he's kind of chatting with her. She's like, I got everything done. Okay, bye-bye. Oh, poor Renata. Yeah, yeah. Um, he turns around with his glass of milk and there sits uh, the winter soldier looking all eye makeup-y and uh, dark and sullen this is probably the darkest moodiest piece in the entire film it really is and it really shows this is where we really see pierce's true nature yeah exactly holy cow like just and well actually he even gets even darker later i think yeah well later in that scene for sure well not even in the scene i i think the scene 
later on with with Bucky where he washes him where he washes his Oh, well, yeah, for sure. Holy cow. But I mean, this is where we see the complete character's turn because when he looks and he sees Winter Soldier, you're thinking, "Oh shit, is Winter Soldier there to kill him?" Right. That's your first inclination. Right. And then he starts, we have to accelerate the timetable and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh, snap. He's a bad guy. <laughs> Knew it already because I know that Alexander Pierce is not a good guy in the comics. But oh, snap. <laughs> right? Right. So he goes and he sits down. He asks him if he wants a glass of milk, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, you know, what What if he did say yes and then uh, he's sitting there with a milk mustache? <laughs> That could have been like a milk mat mustache ad. I don't know. Uh, anyway, um, so they're talking, and Renata comes back in because she left her phone. Yeah. And oh, Pierce Renata. is like, oh, Renata, why didn't you knock? And he pulls the pistol that's on the table and shoots her twice and then tells him to dispose of the body. Jeez. And I mean, it's yeah. just so brutal. It is so brutal. And I can't think kind of harkens back to those 70s uh, thriller films where that level of brutality was there, was exhibited by the bad guys. Right. From here, we cut to daybreak. Uh, we got Rogers and Romanoff are on the run, and they end up going to uh, see Sam because, as we stated before, Sam's really the only person that Cap kind of trusts implicitly. Right. And thinks that it won't turn a dime on him because, again, no agenda. There's no reason for him right. to do it. And this is, too, where, like you, you had mentioned before, um, this is the first time that you get the implication that Rogers actually does now trust Romanoff Mm -hmm. because they have that little moment in the bedroom as they're sort of cleaning up and everything. And he's like, well, I trust you now. Yeah, exactly. That whole thing was just like a, did they fuck? It was a little, well, no, they, they did not. But it was very like, you know, and I think part of it is though, is from... from the viewer's standpoint, you're you're watching these two people that are slightly undressed and they're both like the most insanely attractive people on earth. So you just sort of assume they did. She's drying her hair with a towel. And they are, I know, and they are kind of looking at each other, looking at each other, but it's like, come on, it's at Sam's house. Sam would be really upset. Cap wouldn't do that to his bro. (laughs) I don't know. Don't you think you see these people walking around like, yeah, man, they're going to fuck. <laughs> I, I, in all seriousness, I know that that's not what happened. I didn't think, but the the image is so implicitly in movies. That kind of image is is oh, kind yeah, of a replacement indicator that some hanky standard, right? And you're taking the characters involved. And you're like, I could see her doing it because she's her, but I can't see him doing it because he's him, him. right? But I mean, he's in the wife beater. Right. Looking ginormous, <laughs> hair perfectly quaffed. Right. And it's just, it's such a, it's an, it's an important scene, but it's a very odd scene the way they played it out. Right. And I can't figure out why they did it that way. And but. then we get another fantastic line from Sam. I made breakfast. You guys eat that sort of thing. <laughs> and so uh, they go down they get sit down at the table and they're trying to hash out what their policy is and Sam basically volunteers himself to help out and they're you know Tosh's like well what can this guy do and then Sam whips out with a bunch of what had to be classified dossier photo right. folders like there's this I'm like nobody's like where did you get that from I would like Natasha to go how did you get this I have my ways and give him a little kind of like a props nod or something like that. <laughs> right. Now, I just retired and took these files with me. 
case I ever needed him for something. You know, this may actually be one of those moments where they did break the rules, even in the Marvel universe. Like, how does he just happen to have an that, entire dossier on this suit and all the technical? That's that's the weird thing to me. It could have done it with a photograph of him and his wingman in the suits. Right. right? Could, because they never get into what all the suit can do anyway. Right. And then you wouldn't have that like head scratchy moment of, well, how did he even get his hands on all this? Right, but then Romanoff knows what the suit is. Oh. Right? When he says it, she's like, oh, you're a paraglider winger flyer again, dude. Again, she's James Bond in this. Well, she, she knows, knows everything. everything. And and you know, Steve's like, I thought you were a pilot. I never said I was a pilot. Right? <laughs> well, you're right. You didn't, but don't be a smartass. You're trying to get on the team. You want to impress the captain. <laughs> right? Um, but anyway, he convinces him that he can be helpful. You know, Cap vouches for him with with Natasha, and uh, you know we're moving off. So this is where we get into what I call the Matrix car chase scene because it just it reminds me exactly of the car chase from Matrix Two when they're stuck on the highway. Right. Um, but first, we got to we got to get the yeah exactly. <laughs> so um, we see Jasper Sitwell um, you know, walk. Was he walking with Gary Shandling at that yes, point? Yes, they're yeah, walking. I thought that was earlier. No, because they're walking out of the building, and that's when we get that. That's when we get some classic. Gary Shandling. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I don't know. It's not really a problem. 22, hot, kind of really hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he leans over and gives him the whispery, Hail Hydra. Right. And every time I see that scene, it's like, do you think Gary Shandling's breath stinks like like milk or <laughs> or something? He just looks like the kind stale of guy who coffee. ate something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's stale, gross coffee that's been sitting around in there while he was waiting for his scene. Uh, but he walks off with the, oi, ooh, ah, I'm an old Jewish man. And which, you know, I'm Gary Shandling, so I am. And just, yeah, it, it's, it, you see Sitwell kind of standing there. Uh, he gets a phone call. Uh, you don't know who the phone call is from. Right. He picks up the phone call. Yeah, my The best line is like that. Uh, I'm the handsome guy in the sunglasses on your ten, it's your 10 o'clock. Your other 10 o'clock. Your other 10 o'clock. <laughs> it's so great that Jasper doesn't know his 10 o'clock. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then they go through all this. So what are you trying to get out of this? He's like, well, we just want to talk. And that is a really nice tie. And he looks down <laughs> and he's got the red dot on his tie. Yeah. Um, cut to them at the top of a building. Uh, throwing, you know, Cap pushes him out on there and he starts saying, you're not going to get me to talk. You're Cap of America. This isn't your shtick. He's like, you know what? You're right. It's not my shtick. It's hers. It's hers. <laughs> and she kicks him over the building um, you, and they start talking about, what about the girl in record? <laughs> the one with the lip ring? Yeah. I, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> and then we see Sam make his proud entrance as Falcon, carrying Sitwell. He drops him back onto the roof. Such a great... I love that they have that little short talk while exactly while Jasper is falling, falling. to his doom. Right, right, and that was definitely the the best good cop bad cop moment of all the Marvel movies, right there. Right. Um. So Sitwell goes down. They browbeat him a little bit, and finally he spills the beans and everything that's going on. Tells us that Project Insight is this program designed to anticipate people who will disrupt world order and target them to eliminate them through the inside helicarriers. I think they, they equate it later on to killing 20 million to save billions. Right. And he and starts they, listing and they people. Base on, and they base it on the fact that of what they've done in their past to predict their future. Right. Exactly. This is the algorithm that Zola wrote. Zola's super smart. And he was even super smarter as a computer. And so he starts listening. And he's like, Tony Snark, Stark, 
Bruce Banner, Stephen Strange, who should, by the way, have been completely irrelevant at this point because he was just a neurosurgeon in New York at this point. Right. But they're either saying that somehow Zola knew he was going to become Sorcerer Supreme or that he was destined to do something other than that if that didn't happen. Oh, this was pre... Way pre. Way pre Doctor Strange. Yeah, they hadn't even cast anybody or brought the movie out when they did it. It was Uh, a name drop. Huh. Because I think he said... I don't know if this one... Somebody says the kid, the spider kid in New York, too. Oh, really? I don't think he says it in this one. I'm thinking of it, it might be a different movie. Oh, but okay. this was like... Peter Parker would have been like 10 when he said that. So it was a name drop. But right. um, it, the point is that this is going to wipe everybody else out that would be a problem for Hydra to instill the world order that Hydra wants to put on there. Right. Then he realizes he spilled the beans. Mm-hmm. And he starts freaking out because Pierce is going to kill him. And they're like, you yeah, know, well, we, we can help you with that. And, you know, he's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. He should know that this never works out with S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, then, I, I see, I'm struggling to, to figure out if the only reason why Jasper turns is because he knows Pierce is going to kill him now. Yeah, exactly. Or does he turn, does he have any redeeming qualities in him at all thinking, oh, my God, they're going to kill hundreds of thousands of people? Or if that's just... That's besides the point. The bigger point is just the fact that Pierce is going to kill him now, and he might as well just side with S.H.I.E.L.D. for the time being because it could save his life. It'll save his life. Yeah, I think that's entirely it. Because he, he was, is such a worm. He was fully on board, fully Hydra, until he realizes that being Hydra is not going to be a good thing for him and very healthy, and decides to switch the other way, which, sadly, doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of difference. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they all jump into their little car to go do a little driving. And then all of a sudden, Winter Soldier shows up and starts ruining everybody's day. Rips <laughs> the roof off. Rips Jasper out of the roof, who splats into a semi-truck. That's the end of Jasper Sitwell. Bye-bye. Bye. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and then literally just starts tearing everything apart, trying to get at Captain America and, and, and Black Widow and Falcon and everybody else. Um, this man, I will say once, once we get off the bridge yes. in this scene, cause the bridge is a little messy, like the whole, like skidding on the door to get out of the car or whatever. Yep. And, and that part of it is sort of a messy part of the fight that mm. I don't, you know, it's I a mean, doing and they're moving from mobile to static. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one. I'm sure yeah. the transition was tough to logistically even figure out. But once, man, once it's on the ground, oh, this is such a... Oh, yeah. And, and so well court Again, well courted like the boat one was set up, like mm-hmm. the other car chase. All of this is, is so well planned. Kudos to the stunt team on this and to the cinematographer for being able to shoot it really well. Yeah. Um, but we get the... We basically get the whole thing. You know, Sam's got guns. He's flying. He's shooting. Bucky's shooting, can't hit, or things are ping, ping, pinging all over the place. He's like, screw it. I'm going down to taking care of this mono a mono. <laughs> um, not including the rocket launcher that he shoots, or the grenade launcher that he shoots at Captain America, which blows him way the hell back. <laughs> yeah. Which I have to point out, again, this is the problem. It should have absorbed the impact of that grenade launcher. So it shouldn't have actually sent him flying. No. It should have just displaced all that force. Exactly. And I but have, they used it as a vehicle to send him. Yes. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> realistically, they should have had Bucky shoot the ground and that's what would have sent him flying off. But right. I have to allow it because <laughs> we got to move things along. So, um, Oh, we get that. We get that very, uh, this, this might qualify the, uh, 
when Natasha, what does she do? She like jumps off, she jumps the, off bridge. the bridge, uses her grappling hook, and then swings Spider-Man style onto the ground. Right, and then keeps running. Who is fuck? And I the mean, double-fisted shooting. And this actually makes me think of something that I, I was, I'm glad that I've remembered this. One of the things about the Marvel Universe, or actually just action movies in general that I find hilarious, is that grappling guns can apparently grasp onto fucking anything. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like they it doesn't matter whether it's hardened steel, whether it's concrete, those <laughs> those teeth on a grappling hook gun will always secure oh, yeah. tightly and you will swing effortlessly. Everybody knows that's how it works. That's how it works. I mean you give credit to her. At least hers penetrated the concrete that it went into. Right. And posted itself in there. Right. I think that was the uh that was the the post Batman. Um, mm-hmm. you, you got the functional grappling hook in the no, the Nolan movies, but the one that they used in the Tim Burton movies was a little less believable, right? Because it know was the literally precursor. A- you know what the precursor is to all of these, though, is hmm. it's Indy's whip. It's kind of Indy's whip. Kinda. <laughs> I, I never really bought Indy's whip. I feel like it would slip under his own weight, but I'll allow with Indiana Jones because he's Indiana Jones. Exactly. Um, so as the battle pursues, um, Bucky's mask gets knocked off, and we all get the reveal that woo, that really Winter Soldier music right. that uh, Bucky is uh, well, is I, a Winter Soldier. And and I will say, I actually love the fact that he does have his own music. Yeah, through the whole thing, because you know, as soon as you hear that music, you're like, "Oh shit, here we go!" Yeah, Winter Soldier's coming. We're about we're we're going right into that awful shit again. <laughs> like he's about to <laughs> screw everything up. So, but obviously, Cap's like uh, Bucky, and Bucky's like, "Who's that? Right. Who's Bucky?" He says, "Yeah." And then they start the 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 parkour fighty fighty stabby stabby, and the knife moves. With oh, those are so good when he like drops and then picks it up picks with up the, the knife. Either. Yep, and oh, so yeah. good. Um, Rumlow did that a couple times too in the fight scene. He did that with the the zapper thing that he had, oh, and in, then in does the, it again in the elevator. Yeah, and then does it again when he's holding the gun to the guy's head to launch the ships. He drops the gun and catches it and it shoots right. Agent Carter. But I saw uh, behind the scenes footage of Sebastian Stan practicing that. That's all him. Doing the fight stuff, dropping the knife, catching it, going all that. That's awesome. Uh, but it's just like they're fighting to a standstill because they're evenly matched. Right. Uh, so they, and I, I'm completely forgetting exactly how the fight ends, but uh, the fight does end. I, w- I will say real quick, I also love that Natasha uses her phone to... To distract him? Yeah, or to think that he's behind... Yes. Or that she's behind the car. So he rolls that little weird grenade thing that he's got towards that. And of course right. she's not there. And Right. And so basically I think they get to the fight in there and a bunch of the shield guys show up um, like in like tack vans, you know, right. <laughs> this isn't just guys shooting from a bridge. We got a bunch of the black SWAT guys showing up. Uh, they all get surrounded. Rumlow kind of comes in. He's in charge of everything. They basically have to get up, get on your knees, get on your knees. And, and you know, Rumlow's uh, second in command, he's all like, I'm going to pop Captain America. Right. He's like, not in front of the camera, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they arrest him. They throw him into one of the tack vans. Uh, they go driving off. And uh, Natasha's been hurt during the fight by a Winter Soldier. Um, so she's bleeding inside the van. And Sam's just like, you know, we got to do something for her. She's hurt. At which point in time, one of the security guards 
flashes out one of the shock sticks at him and then turns in immediately on the other security guard that's in the van. And you're like, what's going on? And then the security guard takes off the helmet and it's Marie Hill. And she's all like, oh, that was crushing my brain. (laughs) And she throws the helmet down on there and they're all like, what is going on? <laughs> and so we cut to the, the trucks showing up in a deserted area somewhere. Right. Rumlow gets out three holes. You know, it's like, <laughs> no waiting. What are we talking about here? <laughs> I thought we were going to wait. <laughs> yeah. What's happening here? Um, they go inside the van and they see the unconscious uh, guard and another one of Nick Fury's little Bernie holes. Do you think, do you think that was a, a CO2 laser? It felt like a CO2 laser to me. <laughs> But I don't know. You would think S.H.I.E.L.D. would have better technology than CO2 lasers. <laughs> so they're gone. Rumlow and his guys are like, what happened? I don't know. Um, we cut to uh, Hill taking them to a secure facility where Fury is resting in bed, very much alive. And we reveal that the director didn't actually die, but he was severely injured. Um, they hand Natasha off to the doctor that saved Fury's life. Right. So she can get fixed up, and then they begin to proceed to explain that he took the serum that uh, Banner had developed to help slow his heart rate down to prevent him from being the Hulk. It didn't work for him, but it worked to make Nick look like he was dead. You know, Rogers is like, man, you just never stop this bullshit, do you? (laughs) Just going on with you all the time. This is, is, I will say, now I realize that all this is, you know, part of canon, apparently, Mm -hmm. that Nick Fury dies all the time, or quote-unquote dies in the comics all the time but man this is like the limits of my heightened reality i'm like (laughs) you've like when he lists off all the things that happened to him i'm like if your heartbeat is only beating once a minute how is it repairing itself or even keeping itself like from just falling off entirely well i don't know you know i'm just i'm just uh, i mean i'll bite but also, come on. Again, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he went in there. They knew what was happening. That doctor knew what was happening. Right. They all they all knew the plan ahead of time. Right. And so he probably was not injured as badly as he looked. Right. And they just they <laughs> sold it more. And the fact that they sold it so well to Natasha says that they did a very good job. So uh, we jump from there. Uh, we see uh, Barnes back in his headquarters that wherever Hydra's keeping them. Right. Um, an interesting note on that, the two scientists that are working with them are the writer and the artist that created Winter Soldier. Oh, really? So the dude with the beard is Ed Brubaker and the guy without the beard is Steve Epting, the no artist. No way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, they put him in this chair and uh, he starts, obviously this is a programming chair where when they want to put the missions into him, they program with everything he needs right. after they take him out of the freezer unit. And they... <laughs> They indicate he's been out too long for any reprogramming to really take place because he starts asking, who's Bucky? Mm-hmm. Why do I – I know that guy. Why do I know that guy? Right. And Pierce is like, well, we just need to zap him and fry his memory again. We can't do that. Right. So, like, well, I guess we're just going to have to completely reprogram him then. Oh, and that that is such a – that is another – like, that just punctuates once again how cold-blooded Pierce is. Right. Because like, it looks brutally painful. It's brutally painful, and he's just that – Blood curdling scream out of him, mm-hmm. like oh my god! It's well, just and such his willing a... acceptance to allow it to happen too. Ugh, he just sits there, he lets himself be manicled. It is he lets so them, heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I remember watching and thinking about the torture scene from Empire with Han. Yeah, and how they dialed that way, way back because Lucas was like, "I'm afraid we'd scare kids if we really showed them being tortured." Right. Whereas this, yeah, 
But Dizzy's like, this, nah, no. nah, go ahead. Let it go. <laughs> Shove something in his eye and then shock the crap out of him while he screams really loud. But we're Disney. <laughs> we're Disney. Disney cares. Disney cares. We, we love children. So uh, Disney loves the little children. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut back to Hill and Fury um, telling him that basically telling the team that Project Insight's only hours away and they have to act very quickly. Uh, the helicarriers reach 3,000 feet, connect with the satellites, start wiping people out with those super-duper turny-turny, witty-witty-witty guns. <laughs> um, and, of course, here comes the here comes the nugget that I love. We have to get these specially blue fin blades put in to prevent this from happening, and th- only all three of them will actually be effective, so we can't just do one. We have to do all of them. Now, no, no point in time does anybody go, maybe we call Iron Man. And say, Maybe hey, we Tony, call for help. Maybe. Hey, Tony, 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 <laughs> you know those helicarriers? Here's the deal. And Tony's like, oh, shit, I can see Fury doing that. Well, good thing I put this thing in there where I can turn them off. Boom. <laughs> movie done. <laughs> right. Right? This is the tropiest <laughs> part of this movie, yeah. and it still bothers me. Because at the end of the day, couldn't they just pull out the targeting cards and not have to put their own targeting cards in? That's the thing. It's like this, in a, in a movie that's so full to the brim of heightened reality technology... Nobody has the technology to not require three cards to recalibrate where these guns are going to shoot. Exactly. Um, and I guess if the intent if the intent was for them to shoot each other, I guess it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But if the intent was to eliminate the threat, it seems like they had a lot of other options they could have just done that with to make it easier. Yeah. But then you don't get the Marvel ending for the movie. So that's I right. guess that's fine. Um, I also have to point out at this point in time that – we learn that insight is effectively a list, <laughs> which until I started doing this podcast would never have even put together. But it was a list created by AI, and it contains thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. It's true, and it wasn't top secret, and it wasn't the focus of the plot per se. Right. So it's not it, quite the same level of list. But if we have any questions from any of our listeners that this is a spy movie, there's a fucking list in it. That's right, damn So it. it's a spy movie that's right (laughs) anyway so hill explains what the MacGuffin is that they need to get accomplished (laughs) fury's all on board with yeah we just got to disable them so we can keep the programming going cap's like nope nope we're destroying we're we're burning this to the ground right we're going al capone on this thing i want his family dead i want his house (laughs) burned to the ground and fury starts to argue and realizes he ain't running the show anymore. And he nope. even says, well, I guess you're in charge now, Cap. And then he looks at Sam and Sam's like, don't look at me. I do what he does, just slower. <laughs> <laughs> another another gem from him. Absolutely. And feel, so, again, the best lines in this movie, Sam and Natasha. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Because <laughs> they're allowed to be those characters. Right. Everybody else has to fit their mold. They're allowed to be those characters for everybody else. Yeah. So... That will move us into Act 3. So, Act 3. Woo! The final chapter. (laughs) (laughs) So, later, uh, Rogers recalls how after the death of his mother, he's like standing on that bridge. Or, no, the dam. Is it? Yeah, it's on the dam. dam. And And he's recalling how after the death of his mother that... Barnes offered him a place to stay, and we see that little flashback where he like, knows where the key is to his place, right. and, and so he wouldn't have to cope alone, promising to be there, quote, until the end of the line, which, of course, 
is something that we have to remember because later on we hear it again. But then he sort of snaps out of it and, and Sam is there and Wilson sort of warns Rogers that Barnes may not be able to be saved or taken alive, saying something to the effect of, uh, he's not somebody that you save, he's somebody that you stop. Right. In all likelihood. So, but of course, you know that Rogers is determined to to save him. Because Steve Rogers does what Steve Rogers wants to do. That's right. And then just as they're turning to to get ready to suit up or whatever, and Sam's like, you going to wear that? He's like, no, if you're going into war, you got to wear a uniform. That's right. So then we cut to the Smithsonian. And, uh, you know, you got to, it's just a matter of time until you get a Stan Lee cameo. That's right. And so... So then we see the the statues and the and of course the Captain America suit is gone and, and then you see Stan Lee as the custodian or whatever the the security old guard. the old security guard and he's like oh man I am so fired <laughs> oh man I am so fired in in a very Stan Lee sort of way that's right <laughs> love it you know Disney actually put a moratorium on that now um, no more Stan Lee cameos. Of any kind, verbally, visually at all, because Stan's not there to do it anymore. Right. Um, they were talking about integrating some of them into the TV shows, and the I think Feige came down and said no, but Disney backed him up on it, saying no, Stan's not here to do it. We're not doing it anymore. Yeah, there's no. It's it's not so much disrespectful. It's just the whole point was having Stan involved. Right. Well, it's tacky. It, it is. It's like yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know, making a hologram of somebody and then sticking him in there or CGIing them in something like that there's yeah. there's there's cases to be made for it but for stanley the point was that stanley was finally getting to enjoy the fruits of his labor exactly and now he's gone so why bother yeah exactly there's there's no point to now that. we just need kevin feige uh, appearances i think yeah right <laughs> so the uh so then we see the members of the world security council they arrive at uh triskelion and they're each given one of those little badges to wear on their collar that will grant them access to everywhere in the Triskelion. They don't know what else it does. Um, and then they meet in uh, Pierce's office. Um, and then in the meantime, you see Rogers, Wilson, and Hill break into the Triskelion and take control of the communication systems. And this is such a great moment because then you see Abbott essentially from Community uh-huh. playing pretty much the same role because he's like, he's like, uh, what does he say? Negative Ghost Rider. The pattern is full. Right. <laughs> and then they, what is it? They hear knocking on the door or something. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I'll go get it. And he goes over there and opens it. And there it's all of them standing there with guns drawn and everything. He's like, well, you can, you can go through. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. So Rogers walks in and he basically takes control of the, uh, the PA system or whatever for the Triskelion. And he announces over the loudspeaker that there are Hydra infiltrators in S.H.I.E.L.D. led by Pierce and that they cannot be allowed to initiate Project Insight. And, I, oh, I like that, too, at the end of that, how, like, Sam's like, did you write that or did you just, <laughs> that, was that just sort of off the top of the dome? <laughs> Steve Rogers, his greatest skill, speechifying. Speechifying, indeed. Uh, so then we see uh, Rumlow and his men enter the control room and uh, threaten the S.H.I.E.L.D. technician guy named uh, Cameron Klein, who apparently is an actual character in the comic books that I wasn't aware of until I did my research on this. Even that one's obscure for me. <laughs> um, but he, he threatens him to uh, launch the helicarriers, and he's like, well, 
Cap said not to. And then we get this little thing where Agent 13 intervenes and the gunfight breaks out, but Rumlow still manages to get the helicarriers into the air. Hey, because Rumlow knows computers. So maybe he's the other James Bond guy in here. I don't know. Yeah. Does seem to know a lot of things. He does seem to have a a great set of skills. Yeah. Uh, so then we see um, Pierce pulls a gun on Councilman Singh, but Romanoff is there using a photostatic veil. Very uh, an update to Mission. <laughs> Very update to Mission Impossible, <laughs> and reveals herself to be disguised as Councilwoman Holly and stops him. Romanoff begins to upload all of. Shield and Hydra's secure files to the internet. And Pierce is like, do you really want all this information out on the internet about you? And and she sort of fires it right back at him. Like, do you want it about you out there? Mm-hmm. You know, her, all of her, her dialogue of this is so do, 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 you know, <laughs> yeah. very, yeah, do, 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 up, very pissy, you know, <laughs> right. don't worry, company's coming. <laughs> yeah, it is all very like, you'll see. <laughs> so then Pierce held at gunpoint informs Romanoff that, uh, two alpha level clearance members are required to disable the encryption so the files can be uploaded and there's only one present. And she's like, you'll see. <laughs> Don't worry, company's coming. Right, exactly. So yeah, then we see Nick Fury getting off the helicopter. and Walking in slow motion. Walking in slow motion. Black with cape his cape flapping. Yep, his big coat flapping in the wind, all that. So he comes in, you know, I am still alive. Um <laughs> And he notes that Pierce probably erased all traces of Fury being the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., but he had made a backup retinal scan using his damaged eye instead of his normal working eye. He always needs to stay one step ahead. ahead. That's right. So Fury and Pierce, they scan their retinas to use their clearances to disable the encryption and allowing Romanoff to upload the files. Meanwhile, we get Rogers and Wilson sort of going after the helicarriers to put in the chips. And, you know, with some hardship, Rogers is able to get the first one in and Wilson's able to get the second one in. It's always the third one that's the hardest. It's always the third one. It's always the third one. I do like, though, the one where when Wilson is doing it, just how I love how they show off his abilities with that suit. Right. Especially when those fighter jets like shoot the ro- the rockets at him. Right. And he comes right up to next to one of the helicarriers, drops out all thrust on his yeah, suit, just and just like, installs and just drops, and and then all the the missiles hit the dome, yeah. flies in, bada boom, bada bing, bada boom, bada bing, just Beach like that. I also like the part too when him and Cap are on one of the helicarriers running. Hey Cap, how do we know the good guys from the bad guys? If they're shooting at you, they're bad. That's nice. right. <laughs> So, and that's when you hear some Winter Soldier music come in, Mm -hmm. and you just know that shit's about to get (laughs) really difficult. (laughs) So, so then we see the Winter Soldier, and he takes out, he basically takes out Sam, like he takes out his, the wing off, because... Oh, and that's the other part of it, too. Again, the ruthless uh, precision with which he's mm-hmm. able to just screw up everything right. for these guys. Where Because there's also, the, you get that little moment where the one group of S.H.I.E.L.D. loyal right. um, pilots... Or are the go- only one protecting Captain America. Right, exactly. And then suddenly, boom, gone. Not anymore, you're not. Not anymore, you're not. Now you're... St- <laughs> it's all alone. <laughs> hey, here I am. I'm going to rip the canopy off of this plane and crash it into the ground. So, sorry. Here's yeah. a grenade for you, by the way, that he just happens to bat away. 
yeah. into where it needs to go. Right. Because <laughs> I'm the winner fucking sold. <laughs> so Sam gets grounded, and then we get the beginning of this massive fight between Rogers and Bucky. And, um, you know, like after, I'm not going to go into every little finite detail about what's going on, but eventually after being shot, God knows how many times by Bucky, I, I think it's like at least three or four times. I'm pretty sure he gets him four times. It's that fourth one that almost uh Well, yeah, it's right in his gut. Yeah. But eventually he finally gets the final chip in there. So during, during all of this fight between Rogers and the Winter Soldier, you know, the inside helicarriers have connected with the satellites and are beginning to sort of run Zola's algorithm. And you see all these targets popping up. But then finally, Rogers manages to place that final chip on the helicarrier seconds before they're about to fire. And it changes the targets to shoot at each other. And then in the meantime, at Pierce's office, the upload has finished. However, Pierce refuses to be taken in and uses his little little trigger on his phone to um, to kill the other World Security Council members and then sort of basically threatens Romanoff and forces Fury to drop the gun. And, and at that point, he's sort of in control at that split moment. And just as he's about to use the device to kill Romanoff, she uses one of those little taser discs that she, that she used earlier. Her stingers. Yeah, her little stingers that she used on uh, Winter Soldier earlier on herself which temporarily disables the device on the security badge and allows Fury to take control and ends up killing Pierce in the process. And what does he say when he dies? Hail Hydra. Hail Hydra. I'm like, like, come on. Come on. Yeah, that's Is that a, really? That's a comic book thing. Like, are you really, like, somebody like that shouldn't be loyal to anything that much. <laughs> Just the thought. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, Wilson is now fighting with uh, Rumlow on the... Uh, I think he's on the inside of the heli. No, no, he's on the forty-first floor. That's of right. The he's on the he's on the triskelion now with with Rumlow, and he's fighting. And it just as Rumlow seems to have gotten the better of him, then Sam sees that one of the helicarriers is literally crashing into the building. Right, practically smashing everything. And Sam just makes a run for it. In the process, it looks like Rumlow is crushed. He jumps out of the forty-first floor, <laughs> and he falls what looks to be about five floors. Before the helicopter that's piloted by Romanoff with Fury in it. In the chopper. Uh, <laughs> they turn sideways at the exact moment and he falls in. They keep him in there from falling out. And he's like, I said 41st floor. And he's like, they don't write the numbers of the floors on the outside of the building. That's right. <laughs> so, so then we cut back to the chamber where Rogers and Barnes are on the helicarrier and it's, and everything's coming down and Barnes is pinned under this giant thing. And then Rogers uses his super duper strength and pulls him out and try as a, as a way to sort of show that, you know, they're friends and that they don't need, but of course Barnes is still brainwashed really bad. So he's less brainwashed and more confused at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Conflicted. I should He's say. conflicted. And so maybe he doesn't want to deal with the ickiness of being conflicted. And so he starts pummeling Rogers again. Well, and he says, you're my, you're my friend, Bucky. And he says, you're my mission. Then he's like. Right. And then, and then we get the, yeah. And then we get that line at the very, very, right before he falls into the water. Mm -hmm. That, uh, till the end of the line. That's right. Cause I'm with you till the end of the line, Buck. That's right. Um, using my cool Chris Evans voice right now. So, Sir Rogers falls into the water, and it looks like he's going to sink to his death. And then a hand reaches out, and it's Bucky, and mm -hmm. Bucky pulls him to the shore. And then he's still not quite sure of 
what's all going on. So he just leaves him there and walks away. Nice of him to get the shield, though. Yeah, yeah, that's courteous. It was, it was you know, maybe some forward here's, thinking there a little bit. He, you know, you might need this later. It's like your whoopee. I get it. You need yeah. it. <laughs> it's a thing, you know. Here you go. So then, uh, you know, you kind of see the uh, Pierce dead on the floor, and you see all the all the helicarriers crashing down, and there's just blood. They 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 try to make that like a big moment, but I don't know if it completely works. It's just like, eh. I, the fact that they're all falling in exactly the right place just seems a little odd to me. Yeah, that they they didn't crash somewhere else, it, drift off a little bit into right. the it's DC metro area and crash. Look at how this else. has been perfectly choreographed to fit in the line of this <laughs> shot, right. so that oh, it's they're perfectly, all crashing right where they took off from. It's a this perfectly is perfectly composed shot. <laughs> we don't have to do anything. <laughs> it was exactly as I had intended for it to be. <laughs> Scott. Scott. <laughs> Preparation H for helicarrier. <laughs> so. So then uh, Rogers wakes up sometime later um, in the hospital. And then you hear, uh, well, the first thing you hear is Marvin Gaye's song in, in Trouble Man, which I thought was great. Mm-hmm. I love that they got the license to use that song. I love that song anyway. And then, of course, you see all these new events that have sort of taken place while he's been sort of on the mend. In a motherfucking montage. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you see that Agent 13 has joined the CIA uh, Hill is talking to Stark Industries. Mm-hmm. Senator Stern is arrested. Rumlow, who we thought was dead under rubble, is now seen being attended to by doctors. So clearly we may see him again. Crossbow. It's possible. And then he wakes up and, and he says, on your left. And, mm-hmm. eh, eh. <laughs> so we then see Fury preparing basically to be on the run. You know, he's grabbing new passport and his gun and everything you need, everything a secret agent needs to, to go ghost. That's right. You need to have that scene in there for sure. Yep, exactly. So, and then he sets fire to the rest of his files. I'm guessing that's like the rest of his identity. Um, he even ditches the eye patch for some sunglasses mm-hmm. and goes full like street gangster type. That's right. He's full look. Samuel L. motherfucking Jackson. That's now. right. That's right. So, um, and then we get the we see the gang at Fury's grave, and this is so great that they thought to do this. That on his gravestone it says Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, the path of the righteous man <laughs> is beset. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that might have been intentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they just pulled a some generic uh, gravestone out of a gravestone place. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, it, it seems it seems it, it like seems- it has to do with something like there's a connection yeah yeah i don't know what the connection is uh, i could i can't think i mean of it was either. in a movie once somewhere that i saw but that dude I had hair know. yeah and a black suit and a white tie or right black tie. he I, was the, it was it was a drawn john travolta movie it was like a john travolta movie right yeah, yeah I, I don't know samuel jackson has never been in a john travolta movie no. so i don't even understand i don't get it either anyway <laughs> so he's he says if somebody would ask what happened to him he wants Rogers to answer that they can find me right here. Mm-hmm. He points to his grave. So um, because of all this, because of Shield's secure files that, that have been uploaded to the internet, um, along with uh, Romanoff's past, she sets out to find herself a new identity. Um, I also forgot to mention during all this, too, um, Romanoff was at like a congressional hearing, mm-hmm. which was sort of a weird... That was a weird moment for me. I felt like... That was an unnecessary element where she's talking to... Yeah, why is she talking to a subcommittee about anything at all? 
Yeah, like I don't understand why it was her, exactly her in particular. Like you know, what? you would have expected almost like Maria, Maria Hill. Hill. Yeah, exactly. That would have been more apropos. That would have made more sense. But Kobe Smulders is this level of adventure, and Natasha Romanoff, or yeah. Jake, higher profile, right? And I, she's I think, an Avenger. I think it dovetails a little bit into what happens in Civil War too. Mm-hmm. You know, because she's taking on a higher profile as she continues through the thing. But no, that. That made more sense for Maria Hill to be in it, maybe because Maria was not working for S.H.I.E.L.D. anymore, mm-hmm. and Natasha was still kind of left whatever's left over at S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. But just the whole subcommittee thing made no sense to me at all. Yeah. I don't understand like, why, why she was there, like, having to defend herself or having to... Yeah. I, I really don't get that. That was head-scratchy for me, but anyway. So, at this point, yeah, she's going off to find her herself a new identity... And then she hands off to to Rogers a file with all the information on uh, on Bucky, and she's like, "Yeah, I pulled a few strings in Moscow or whatever, yada yada yada." <laughs> here's here's all everything ever right. <laughs> about him. So it makes perfect sense that she could get access to uh, secure classified files, right? Rather Still than, not sure how Sam Wilson did it. Yeah, that's a little a little strange, but anyway, so. You know, Roger's looking at the file and Wilson realizes that Rogers is going to go look for Barnes. So Rogers is like, well, you don't have to come with me. And Wilson goes, I know. When do we start? Mm -hmm. And I also thought it was cool. Actually, I'll back up just a little bit. I liked just before uh, Nick Fury walks off. I like how Fury asks Sam if he wants to come with him. And Sam's like, I'm more of a soldier than a spy. Right. And that's perfect. It's the whole, it's exactly why he is the perfect person to take on the torch from Cap. Exactly, because he's a soldier. Because he openly admits that he is not of that ilk. And that's that's basically the end of the movie until you go past the end credits. They're not even end credits, they're credit credits. They're credit credits. (laughs) I don't even know if that's the end of the post credit or the pre credit credit sequence. And now we go into the actual movie itself. Where (laughs) right. Which lasts like what, thirty seconds maybe? So it was, so we see uh sometime later Baron Wolfgang von Strucker is holding Uh, the uh scepter inside the Hydra research base in Savokia. Or Sokovia. Sokovia, excuse me, stating that there are Hydra agents worldwide, and and he says like the age of the spies is over. Now is this is the age of miracles right. or something like that. And then they you see a cell containing a guy who's running around at tremendous speed, and the and the other one contains a woman who can levitate a few blocks before one explode before she causes one to explode and. And uh, the two are, are said to be the only survivors of a group of volunteers that were subjected to Strucker's experiments. Uh, meanwhile, Barnes, dressed in civilian clothing, is at the Smithsonian Institution, uh, where he sees the whole section of the Captain America display that's dedicated to him. Yep. And the end. The end. You know, it's funny. The the two superpowered people looked an awful lot like Elizabeth Olsen. And what's his name? Aaron such and such from Kickass. I I didn't I didn't see anything like that. Well, no, they look just like him, but it's not like they ever showed up in the shows or the movies afterwards or anything. like that. I don't that. know what you're talking about. Yeah, I have no idea what you're crazy. talking about. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. you, the perfect opportunity for, would have been Age of Ultron, but they didn't even show up, and they were in Sokovia there. Yeah, I, I have no idea. So, I don't I don't know about such things. You know, <laughs> this is why I hate when movies are so short after the big pre-title sequence. <laughs> Nothing seems to get resolved. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that. Uh, I mean, overall, again, this movie was just fun to review because, again, even, even though technically this isn't a spy movie, it's just great to watch a, a soldier, a true soldier, try and 
make his way through a world of spies and and deception and espionage and and couple that with the fact that he's a fish out of water from you know 60 70 years ago or mm-hmm. whatever and not really understanding american culture in 2014 and and all that so i just again like this is captain america at my at my favorite like beyond this i i feel like he starts going into a little too almost boy scouty almost thinking that he knows better than everybody and then i start to my ass begins to twitch a little and i don't know if i want to yeah i i think that the this is the best representation of captain america until we get to end game mm-hmm. when he yeah because at end game he's kind of fully good. integrated as he by that point in time He's been in the real world for something like 12 years at that mm-hmm. point when you take that five-year jump. I think Civil War is just what irritated me. Because he was he was on a high horse. Yeah. He was actually acting like Tony Stark, mm-hmm. but on the opposite side of the argument. Right. And so Cap usually wants – he has his values, and he wants to impart those values on everybody. But at the, up to this point in time, he wasn't trying to force them on people. Right. Other than maybe by attrition, by saying, I can do better. And by doing that, I can make you do better. Right. But in Civil War, he was really trying to ram that down everybody's throat. Right. And that's where he got. But you know what? Even in the comic book, you start to hate his character because Tony's logic makes, makes more, more sense. sense. Yeah. But it's the security over freedom argument Mm -hmm. and so tony's is coming out as rational look what's happening this is what we can do to prevent it cap's like yeah i saw the nazis this shit doesn't work the way you think it's gonna work right but because he's such a fish out of water in that circumstance nobody has the ability to see it right and i think in civil war they should have played out that argument more because of what happened with hydra and how easy it was for what they tried to do they don't even really mention it at all in civil war Hmm. as why that would be his argument right but then again tony wasn't living through any of that tony was out of the armor business and the nail and pepper pots business i guess and doing whatever he was doing (laughs) with that pepper pots yeah Uh, so uh, like i said before this is my favorite marvel movie period yeah because it stands alone even though it's part of a larger narrative yeah um, you and can I, follow it without... Exactly. That's why I like uh, First Avenger, which is my second favorite Marvel movie, for the same mm-hmm. thing. It has nothing to do with any of the dogma. That's what's nice about it. It's just a movie that's in the Indiana Jones universe with a guy with a shield. Right. And yeah. and that's it. Guardians of the Galaxy, that's why I like those as well. Because they're up until they brought them in with the Avengers, they're just their own deal. I, I do feel like these films tend to get muddier. The more they try and connect through, that's when you start to watch movies and you go, wait, what happened in the last one? I don't even know. Why Why are they doing this? Like what, you know, and if you haven't seen, all, like this is sort of almost the cutoff point where after this, all the Marvel movies start to get a little bit more complicated in it and it's a little yes. harder to follow if you haven't seen what's come before it oh yeah because age of ultron happens after this and that's really where the avengers became a thing mm-hmm. and a solid unit and everything that happens from sokovia triggers everything that happens afterwards mm-hmm. aside from thanos that was the first one but still yeah i think i think marvel's now going to be going to tv for that more of that extrapolating and connecting tissue right and leaving the movies to be themselves which i think is a good move it is a good move i just hope that again when they do start to make big movies again, I hope that you don't have to go back and watch, you know, five episodes of Hawkeye and and five episodes of, you know, mm-hmm. 
whoever. Well, I think, I, I mean, I think even in all the movies, you got a lot of payoff in the two last Avengers movies because if you spent the time to invest it, mm-hmm. you could get it. That being said, you can watch Infinity War and Endgame and not know anything that happened before it and still follow the movie. You can watch Endgame and not watch Infinity War and still get it, for that matter, mm-hmm. which I do most of the time because I don't think Infinity War is as good as Endgame is. Mm-hmm. And that's really six and a half hours of my life I don't want to invest in trying <laughs> to keep everything together. But but yeah, I like this one because it, it stays out of that window. Yeah. I hope that as they go forward, they continue to stay out of the window and focus on the characters. But... We're not going to get a whole lot more spy-y than this movie. No. And and that and again, that's probably also why this is my favorite is because this is the most spy-centric of the bunch. And Natasha Romanoff is so great in this movie. Mm-hmm. She's the standout for me in this whole movie. She's, I hate to say it, but most of the time she's more interesting than Cap. Well, she's definitely more interesting. Like I said, that's her role. She's allowed to do that just like Sam is allowed to do that. Right. The other ones have to stay in their lane yeah. and be who they are. Right. So the wild cards are always better in these movies than, than the ones that aren't. That's that's the best thing about Guardians. Everybody's a wild card. Yeah. So you love listening to everybody open and their mouth. And they can all bounce off each other yeah. and, and be snarky towards everybody. Exactly. Right. Well, that was fun. It was fun. I'm glad we finally got this thing out of the way. Indeed, so indeed. So I can not have to be a nerd about things for a little while anyway. <laughs> well, we're certainly going to go down the rabbit hole pretty hard on spy shit soon. Yes. On our next <laughs> on our next endeavor. It ain't no spy adjacent movie next time. <laughs> so, uh, but um, as always, we're always looking for listener interaction. Um, obviously, we just did this for a listener. So please tell us how you like the podcast or if you have any ideas. Um, you can contact us via email at CICDeadDrop at gmail.com, at Instagram, at Central Intelligence Cinema, separated by underscores, or on Twitter, uh, you can check us out at, at CICSpyPod. Yep, and also, hey, if you're enjoying the podcast, like uh, our listener that uh, recommended Winter Soldier for us, we'd love it if you uh, chose to help us out by giving us a glowing, and when I say glowing, I mean stellarly glowing, stellarly. five-star Lighting review. Lighting up the whole night. Light up the world like a supernova in space. <laughs> uh, five-star review. <laughs> On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your podcasts so that our show gets seen faster by people like you and me and Ben, and yeah. uh, we get to take the inanity to the masses. Indeed, indeed, and we can grow a little CIC community. Oh, I think we've talked plenty. I think we've talked more than enough. Indeed. Well, with that, I'm Ben. And I'm Jason. And the CIC will return with more missions, more martinis, and more motherfucking mayhem. Indeed.